when we beat Tyrone in 15 I thought we were on a winner <laughs> and we were in the final against you and then we just never showed up you know in the, in the final the football pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app OTB AM with Gillette put your best face forward with our new and improved razors all right, you're very welcome along. It's bang on half past seven. And if you want to get in touch with us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Or, of course, you can leave a comment for us on the YouTube stream. Uh, I feel a little bit like the Korean dictator in Team America, World's Police. It's so ronery here without you, Owen. How are you? It's a big empty yeah. studio I have this morning. Good, good. Yeah, very well. People are asking for you over here, Jer. So it kind of feels lonely over here. They, they feel like... They've got the, the wrong man over here. They, they feel like they need a bit of John Duggan or Jer Gilroy. The two shock jocks who sent shock waves through uh, the Welsh media rugby uh, writers yesterday, I think it's fair to say. Um, uh, John Malloy almost accurately described how you looked when on, when me and uh, John were saying that. You kind of had this, like, you were quailing a little bit in studio as we said that and desperately trying to be the lone voice of reason about how good the Welsh rugby team were but you couldn't carry it off and you ended up getting tired of the same brush so instead of instead of being a Judas you should have just piled in <laughs> I was literally I was, I was like dictating the Wales Online article that's how I felt in, in the studio it was like These, this sentence will be written down on walesonline.co.uk and uh, sure enough, that's exactly what turned out. People can't see your side eye in studio, but they can see it now. And they, they, when, you, when you're looking at the camera, that what they couldn't see was you like desperately looking over me going, shut up, shut, shut up, shut up. So just in case anybody hasn't a clue what we're talking about, because it's a bit random, what, what happened? So you and John Duggan had a right crack off the Wales rugby team during Dropped the week truth before. truth bomb is, is the correct phrase, but go on. You said that we were going to absolutely annihilate and kill them. 20 plus points, I think, was John's prediction. I'm not sure what your prediction was, but certainly the nation of Wales reeling after your disgusting comments during the week. Naturally, the nation's publication, Wales Online, uh, decided that this isn't good enough. You know, we are the state media for this Wales rugby team and we must do something about it and do something they did. And they, did. they transcribed your quotes and they're online now for everyone to see. And uh, you can never take that stuff down off the internet. So, uh, so that's your life now. I'm, I'm, I, can be, um, I can be like the uh, Quinn family and ask for Google to forget, the right to forget after a period of time has elapsed and be like, oh, look, you know, wh- whatever it is that I've done in the past, please, Google, make the, the good people of Wales forget <laughs> that I've said this last year. See, they'll forget what happened last year. And when we win, eventually when Ireland do smack Wales, which is, is coming at some point, I'll be right. Even a stop clock is right twice a day, as the uh, the saying goes. We're going to kill them. Irish rugby show disparages Wales team live on air, as opposed to you know any any other time. Like, I mean, you should hear what we say about about Wales off air. That's all I'll say about that. You should definitely, if you could, if we could just get caught in a hot mic where it wouldn't be live on air, it would be uh, surreptitiously recorded. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, that is, uh, it's probably good news we don't have any Wales insiders, as far as I'm aware, working with us. Now that I say that, there could well be spies working with Team OTB who could throw us under the bus. But I don't know, what, what, is, what is your problem with Wales? Because I'm going to go out and speak to some people here in the streets. And I, I'm, I can forward messages for you. If you've got anything that you want to get off your chest, I can do it for you. But from the comfort of your studio, and uh, you can be the nameless, faceless troll uh, attacking them from Dublin. I mean, I'm not nameless or faceless. I, my, my name is on my Twitter account. It's totally, anybody can, and they do. Uh, slide into my DMs at, at any point they want. So I, I love Wales. I do. I just, 
Right. Uh, you know, I think um, uh, I've, I've been jealous of the success that they've had. They've, they've, they've been ahead of us when it comes to winning silverware and reaching the latter stages of the World Cup and then giving it a right crack when they get there. Like, I mean, whenever I, I was completely accurate about last year a lot of fluky things happened to them to allow them to win the championship but a lot of bad things have happened to them in World Cup semi-finals that were kind of unfair like they can certainly look back uh, as as good as any of the teams who've won the World Cups when they reach the semi-finals I think that's a, a fair point so it's just it's pure naked jealousy up to the point where actually we are now better than them and we should have shown it last year but we got a red card and we're going to show it this week I say that and then I looked at the forecast and it's like pretty horrific so this could easily be one of those games where the ball bounces and, and squirts like a greased shit out of Mac Hansen's hands straight into Louis Rizamet, who wanders in under the posts untouched, and that's the winning of the game. That's a, a distinct possibility. So, uh, But you're having a good time, Owen. That's the most important thing. Yeah, like, I mean, how can you not have a good time in, in Cardiff? It does, it does like feel that this city, as you know, is made for a match day, and without a match day, it kind of feels like a, a little bit of a of an anti-climax and I, I presume everybody's kind of like in post-lockdown mode as well but it is it's almost as if the city was created for match day right it is the perfect match day city the perfect location for the stadium and uh, like I mean the Irish fans weren't over here last year but they'll be back here next year no doubt as a massive truck pulls up behind me at delivery hour here but yeah it's, it's like I mean I was up in uh, in the valleys yesterday as well pretty close by here an hour up on the train we'll pay some of that to you a little bit later on and I'll be heading back up there again today so this is not a, a Cardiff only uh, experience we're going to try and get the whole Wales view of, of what you said yesterday Jer. Okay it's 7.35 and we, we've like it, this, there are mornings when we're doing this show and you're like what are we actually going to talk about uh, there's not that much happening but this week and this last 24 hours in particular there's been a lot happening it looks like Roy Keane Sunderland is certainly on the table he has allegedly been offered the job I haven't had this confirmed but he's going to have to think about going back to Sunderland it looks like West Brom are going to get Steve Bruce very important for the three Republic of Ireland internationals who are there who we all need to get regular game time and it feels it definitely feels a little bit like Roy Hodgson back at Watford three badly run clubs turning to uh, at this stage what, what may well be heritage acts when it comes to management so we'll see I definitely think somebody needs to tap Roy Keane on the shoulder and say don't do this you've become a brilliant TV pundit it's perfect for you you are absolutely made for modern day television everything you do is a potential TikTok video you are going to be very fulfilled when you realise that this is your calling educating people on the the intricacies of football and driving standards and all that kind of stuff like just just somebody needs to tap on the shoulder and say you don't need to manage these teams you don't need to it, it's the wrong job for you being a football manager you did it for a while you were good at it for a while and then you weren't great at it for a while but you're a really good football pundit and everybody watches football it's a totally legitimate job although you looked down your nose at it for a long time when you were playing you were wrong then you're right now that's all that has to happen who's going to be his friend that's what I'm wondering here on I think that you know the things you spoke about there to make him a good pundit could possibly make him a good manager educating people on the intricacies of the game driving standards also if this goes badly will Sky Sports take him back at the drop of a hat yes yes of course they will so if you're sitting in Roy Keane's position and you've got that competitive itch and you think to yourself I haven't been the number one at a club or at an international team as it may be for a long time now and I feel that my time at Ipswich wasn't a true representation of my managerial capabilities then what are you doing? You're taking this job so I, I completely see why he is he is jumping back into management and, and, and taking this game whether or not Sunderland are doing the right thing 
And that's an entirely different conversation. But I think, you know, you're in a League One. You're in League One at the moment. And I, I think that there are definitely worse options uh, as, uh, as, as other clubs that, that could have been taken up, I think. In, in, in the second book, in the Roddy Doyle book, he talks about um, subsisting on pot noodles when he was the manager of uh, pot noodles and toast, I think it was. Maybe, I'm, maybe it was a Pop-Tarts? So we have to look that up, right? Uh, when he was the manager the first time around at Sunderland, I hope that like he gets a delivery of healthy, nutritious food that keeps him happy and his belly full, so that he's not as angry or hangry as all of us would be if all we were doing was eating pot noodles and toast. Uh, you know, I hope that the the lessons that he's learned by the passage of time, simply you know that process of maturation that comes to all of us, uh, even you won't. Is going to kick in, and that makes him a better manager. Like he should just get on board with the club nutrition staff, shouldn't he? Like why why didn't he do that last time? Would be my my question. I mean, like he, he can even take the ketchup out and let him have the ketchup and sit at the manager's table and look at the players and say, "You're not getting any of this. The ketchup is only for the manager. It's only for the gaffer." And that, that's how he plays it. That's a good idea. Yeah. Or if you win at the weekend, you can have ketchup all week next week. Uh, okay. So it's seven forty. We haven't talked about the the Ireland team. There are different Ireland teams from the different rugby correspondents. This is the first time I think under. Um, now I could be wrong about this, but it certainly seemed like almost everybody was getting the teams and the teams were always right and they were always the same whenever the um, uh, the new era has started post-Schmidt um, but in Jerry Thornley's team Mac Hansen's getting the start it's a probable team so it's not, it's not guaranteed but also Bundiaki gets the start so that's different from uh, a couple of the other teams I think Rory O'Connor has Mac Hansen in competition with Keith Earls but he has Henshaw on the team and um, Murray Kinston the 42 also has uh, Henshaw on the team and he's got a leaning Hansen. So it's up for grabs. Uh, this stuff that we thought we kind of had a fair idea of what was going to happen. Not a mention of Robert Balakoon being in the team or really in the matchday squad either. So that's disappointing, I think, for many people who wanted to see him. But the excitement for Mac Hansen, like another Antipodean uh, brilliant finisher and a lot of excitement about his uh, ball playing skills. It's, it's kind of like he's a younger version of James Lowe. Mm. Like I, I do think that if you're comparing... Uh, Hansen and Balakou, and I don't think there there is much of a difference in terms of pedigree. Like, of course, Hansen is uncapped, and yes, Balakou probably grabbed a few more headlines recently in the Champions Cup. But I don't think it's an outrageous leap for Andy Farrell to have looked at both of these players in training and said, "I prefer the cut of your jib more to Mac Hansen than, than Balakou." I think Balakou is still a very, very uh, inexperienced player at test level, and he's going to probably go for inexperience at some point in a big game in the Series 6 Nations. I think when we've gone through the positions, we've come to the conclusion that because of James Lowe's injury, there would be a spot that would open up in that back three from the start. We've made the point that Hansen and Balakun are both relatively non-versatile players, so they kind of need to start rather than being on the bench. So it, it is striking, for sure, that, that Mac Hansen is starting. But I definitely think because he's a winger, there was a sense that he could have taken an opening this year. So if that team that's reported in the Irish Times is the one that lines out at the weekend, that he's obviously done something excellent in training. But Connor Times will tell you that there's there's no surprise to that either. Yeah, look, it, it, either either of these two, if uh, sorry, I, again, Balakun not not being speculated on today. But if Balakun was in the team, we'd be pretty excited to see what he can do. And I think the same is going to hold for Mark Hansen. If Bundyaki gets in ahead of Robbie Henshaw, that's like that's a real shot at like literally anybody in this team. He was he's been our best player when he's been fit and in form over the last two years uh, and undroppable. It looked like 
uh, you would say, and then all of a sudden he gets dropped for this. It's like, that's a real competition for places is pretty intense. Everybody needs to be on it. Like, I mean, it's, it's obviously going to be the, the uh, move towards a sort of power game that might be required in those conditions on Saturday. It's the sort of situation that you want Bundyaki involved in. So I can see why he arrived at that conclusion as well, if that's what happens. But the Henshaw and Ringrose partnership has worked so well uh, over the last little while. Oh, Aki has come in and played well as well. But I, I didn't see this one coming, to be honest. I thought that there was more of an opening in the back three. I thought that Henshaw and Ringrose had, had their spots nailed down. I guess the, the situation is that Ringrose was always going to play 13. So it was going to be the 12 jersey that, that opened up and Aki's obviously had a, had a very good season. And it is that power element that it gives him a bit of a, a wild card when it comes to these sort of selections. So did that let us down last year against Wales, a lack of power through the middle potentially? And maybe that's what's uh, coming to the top of Andy Farrell's mind this week when he's making that call. One other thing that we need to talk about is that um, Mayo confirmed that Tommy Conroy has done an ACL uh, in Sigerson action. Uh, on Tuesday night this is a heartbreaking blow for him he'd been named vice-captain and the performance in particular in the final 15 minutes of the All-Ireland final it was a real kind of uh, it's almost a coming out of, of exactly what we know we knew he was fast and could do something specific in moments but actually the consistency with which he was devastating and taking the fight uh, in the semi-final and final really like it was kind of a alright this is the arrival of somebody who is actually going to live up to the potential and the hype uh, it's heartbreaking for him and it's, it's just a real it's a real another in, in the series of annual hammer blows where Mayo have just never had a full deck no matter what the big occasion it always feels like someone is missing and it's going to happen again this year Conroy was unreal in that game against Dublin last year because of the fact that he was kind of quiet in that first half. I mean, in fact, very quiet in that first half. He managed to sort of pull himself into a position of form in that game, which I guess represents Mayo as a whole in that game. And I think a lot of us were really surprised by the level that he'd got to that day. We knew that he could take his score. We, we knew that he was a, a brilliant shooter, but it was his work around the middle third and uh, his ability to bring that fight to Dublin. When you add that to a mix where Killian O'Connor will be in a team this year, that would have been even more potent for, for this Mayo team. So this is a, a huge, huge blow. Don't we can't get into a way of thinking that because Killeen O'Connor is back that they'll be able to ride this one out pretty handily it's these two guys together which would have made an outstanding forward line part of an outstanding forward line for Mayo this year so it's just it's another devastating though it seems that you can't go a full season one normal season of Mayo is all I ask I think is what they'll be saying out west because they just don't get it at the moment and they haven't in living memory It did raise questions about playing players in Sigerson and league action at the same time and then there's pictures this morning of David Clifford who scored 2-4 in a Sigerson game last night and I don't know about this Owen I just think that like uh, for whatever reason for whatever reason there is massive suspicion abroad of third level education and uh, the desire of people to better themselves and go to college and while they're there to form a bond with the organisation that they're part of for that short period of time three years in most cases four years in some for whatever reason there's like a you know if you, if you, as I tweeted yesterday why is there not just a rule if you're named on a Sigerson panel you're unavailable for the county until your team is out of Sigerson or Fitzgibbon and a lot of people are pushing back at this going well college doesn't matter the colleges have done nothing for them so therefore the, the county is the only thing that matters they should have first call Make the Sigerson be in December when almost all the colleges have exams or certainly they have assignments that are going to count towards their education. And the point of the education is to try and better yourself, to give yourself a career which you're not going to get 
through Gaelic football, and that's the whole point of it. Like we all know, that's the whole point of Gaelic games is that you're an amateur, and so therefore it's not about your long-term well-being as a human being. For I, there's just a, a deep-seated suspicion, I think, of people trying to better themselves, or something else is going on that I don't understand here. Like, it, it, uh, if you look at this in isolation, I mean, Mayo got relegated last time they were in Division 1. They need to play their best team at, at the weekend. So, so that's, that's how they're looking at it. But if there was a, a different rule where that decision is leaving up for them, then of course, I mean, that, that would probably be a positive thing on a, on a number of different levels. I mean, players have picked up injuries in the past and at 6% level as a result of probably playing too much. Uh, like, I mean, this is, this is obviously just bad luck for, for Tommy Conroy this week. And I mean, you'd wonder if you look at someone like David Clifford shooting the lights out this week, are you a little bit cautious to throw him in again at the weekend against Dublin for the full 70 minutes? Uh, like, it's interesting. There's I know not a hope. Not. There's not a hope that they won't use him for the full 70 minutes at the weekend. I mean, they've, they've already proven that they're happy to play lads on the same day that they've played a Sigerson game. There is not a hope that Kerry are not picking him, even if he's like feeling a little bit tight or a little bit sore after a Sigerson game midweek. I know, but this is only Dublin versus Kerry in the league. That was uh, a McGrath Cup game against Tipperary, so that was a huge game that they absolutely had to, to get those lads in for. So, I don't know. I, I, this is like, It's not the same comparing this to, to rugby at all, but it's, it's interesting that at provincial level for rugby, there's not even the notion entertained that you would play twice in a week. It's just, it's just not a non-starter. Granted, it's a nutritional game. You're absolutely beaten up. Games are longer, and, and it's not comparing like with like. But I wonder, does, does Gaelic games need to move in that direction a little bit and say to themselves, listen, one game a week, maximum. How you, how you police that, though, when some players are playing club, county and uh, college, may be seen, but, but that is actually quite uh, an exception to the rule when you're playing all three. All right, we'll come back to this a little bit later on. Celtic whoop Rangers 3-0 last night. We'll come back to that with Phil a little bit later on as well. And Munster have confirmed that Fekatoa has signed. It had been rumoured a while back and then the rumours went cold. So um, if, if his injuries are not bad because he's missed a good bit of time with the shoulder injury uh, then he's going to be a great signing and a, a decent replacement for Damien D'Alende at uh, 7.48 this morning I also want to tell you BT Sport and Eurosport are um, now it's been announced in exclusive negotiations to build a joint venture so if they're going to fold into the same organisation uh, we had yesterday been told in some papers that BT Sport was being bought by DAZN and this was going to be an opportunity for uh, DAZN to get into the market in this part of the world so it'll be interesting to see what happens with this but um, certainly uh, BT Sport and Eurosport will bring together the Premier League and the Olympics and um, Discovery Channel Discovery that group that's a massive uh, global enterprise uh, uh, TV and entertainment company then they would essentially buy BT Sport and their production capabilities. So um, another big player that you're going to be spending money to uh, subscribe to to watch games into the future. And hopefully the price will come down because that's what happens when these things when these things happen, isn't it? The price comes down. It's better value for the consumers because there's competition. Isn't that what happens? At 7.49, I want to tell you what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock this morning. We're going to bring you uh, loads of stuff from Owen in Wales. Uh, we've got Chrandaf um, Rugby Club. Is that right? Oh, that was good. First, first try and all. Gerwin Price. Yeah, yeah. The Dartist at yeah. ten past eight. Uh, Indeed, Dartist, Dartist Street from ten past eight. Uh, John Duggan at eight thirty-five. You're going to the Dartist tonight, are you? Darts is certainly on tonight. I mean, just just here uh, uh, with, a, with a thirst for sport at an empty Principality Stadium. So the Motor Point Arena, just beside the Principality Stadium, is not going to be empty tonight. It's going to be full, heaving with Welsh sports fans. Sure, uh, the sport being game of darts so uh, we will pop along tonight uh, a good suggestion from one of our listeners that uh, we should just get you a desk 
that says get on a desk with a sign on it saying Ireland are going to smash Wales change my mind <laughs> soundbites will roll in good idea if we honestly budget didn't stretch that far uh, I would just be concerned that somebody pukes on you yes that is a live possibility nobody has come anywhere near puking on me I kind of, I kind of got in early both nights so uh, I tried to avoid puking hour uh, and the reason that that might not happen uh, at the Wales home games is because they've decided that you can only get tanked up to half time but no drinking after that so therefore it's going to be grand there will be no puking on seven year olds happening at the Principality over the course of the Six Nations they've learned their lesson from November they certainly have it's at the front of the South Wales Echo here this morning Welsh Rugby's new dry half Principality Stadium to shut bars for second half of Six Nations games and beer with lower alcohol content to be phased in at Iconic Arena. So they're moving it down from the 5% Heineken to the 4.3% Heineken. So that is going to save them a lot of blushes over the next little while. The measures aim to tackle antisocial behaviour in the stands. There's no mention of what exactly happened over autumn, but there, there was a pitch invader. There was projectile vomit. Oh, the pitch invader. Uh, pitch invader, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, on the, um, it's on the Western Mail here as well. Stadium bars to close early in Six Nations. WRU calls time at halftime and there's stuff from Johnny Sexton and all that but that doesn't matter it's all about the stadium bars closing at halftime at the Principality Stadium alright uh, Mr Potato says I actually think Sunderland would be perfect for Roy Keane the fans love him there's no baggage or hang ups on his managerial style James Marshall says Keane could get a better job than I'd like him at West Brom and WFL on the OTV YouTube says Roy has won more than Frank Lampard as a player and as a manager so a lot of support for Roy Keane in the YouTube comments which means in about Eight seconds, there'll be a bunch of people ripping him apart for walking out on his country 20 years ago in Saipan. Sure as night follows day. Right. Uh, do you want to tell us what's coming up here, Owen? Yes, I will tell you what's coming up. So this is Flandaf RFC is where we're going to go here. So this is a, a club out in a, a, a city, uh, which is called Flandaf, which is uh, within the general Cardiff area. So uh, they brought me out the club full of lovely people, sir. I'm sure you're sorry to hear. Uh, they gave me a tour around the clubhouse. There was a training session last night spoke to a couple of the coaches a couple of the kids who were training as well it was an under 10s training session so yeah popped up to the clubhouse and here's what happened we are not in Cardiff City anymore we are in a totally different city uh, I've been told to say that it's called Clandaff did I get that right? Yeah. very close yeah, <laughs> Clandaff, yeah. Clandaff RFC we're in uh, the clubhouse we're drinking uh, Doomba Dune Bar, it is 10 out of 10, 11 out of 10, absolutely spectacular stuff. Shout out to Joan. Thank you so much for the free pint. Uh, we are here and <laughs> we've got Paul and we've got Adrian here with us, uh, two stalwarts of Flandaf uh, RFC. Uh, Paul, we might just start with yourself. I mean, this is a club that is set up in an unbelievable location, uh, of course, just outside Cardiff City. Uh, talk us through a little bit about uh, the club and uh, the prestige of the club. Uh, well, uh, Slandoff is one of the founder members of the Welsh Rugby Union, so we've been going uh, for quite some time. Um, uh, there's a great story that a couple of our, our guys who were uh, the nominated um, uh, representatives uh, of the formation of and signing of the formation of the WRU uh, took themselves down on, on the train trip down to Patalbot, where this 
uh, uh, declaration was signed uh, and they took themselves off uh, and did a pub crawl. So there is a, a bit of speculation whether we were one of the founder members of the WRU uh, or whether we were just kind of like, you know, passers-by on, on the night and had a few beverages on the side. So, um, But yeah, we, we, we were definitely there at the first meeting. Yeah, well, that's important too. To, to uh, somebody's got to do the drinking, right? Oh, oh yes, uh, it's it's a very social club. It's it's a great club for uh, families, kids. You know, it's got a fantastic mini and junior section, right from under sevens to sixteens, then into youth, and then feeding into seniors. But the, you know, the the tours, uh, the social aspects of the club is fantastic. Really, community club. And serious pedigree as well. When you look at some of the names that have been attached to, to just even the Welsh team, uh, when, you, when you go out there and look at some of the jerseys, this is a club that has produced some of the great players. Yeah, I mean, obviously the most recent one is, is Lewis Rees Zamet. And um, I'm not sure if you saw him score his 80 metre, 80 yard try on the weekend for Gloucester. Um, he, he played for the minis and juniors uh, before moving to Hartbury. Uh, he was a fantastic player and he always had speed and, and, and guile and um, he could always do a bit of magic as well. So, yeah, many, many famous players have, have played on, on the Bishop's pitch and uh, graced the Welsh, Welsh national team. I'm one of the coaches of the Mixability. Where we've been going for five years. Basically, um, it's disabled and physically handicapped people. Um, we do rugby for all it, from 18 years up until... I'm still playing. I'm 53. I'm the oldest member, believe it or not. Um, yeah, it's... We play out of Landaf, but we are Cardiff City. Um, we play all around Wales. We've been into Bath, we've been into Gloucester um, to play. Uh, and we're trying to grow over the next couple of years. Um, it's gone from strength to strength. Uh, it's touch rugby and it's full-on physical rugby as well. So, so how does that work? Basically, um, if you're a touch player... If you, if you don't feel like tackling, we'll put a yellow bib on you. So other um, clubs play with a skull cap. So basically, if you go into a situation, you just touch or you touch the player and you stop. But all the rest of the players, it's full on rugby as, uh, as a normal game. It's how you feel uh, about playing the game because a lot of people at the beginning are frightened of playing rugby because... With myself, I didn't come back I, after 20 years of playing. We've, we have veterans playing as well and we've had girls playing touch and we've got people who, who lack confidence uh, but then we've got other players who are just full on which is absolutely so it's sport for all um, without a doubt there's no scrummaging it's passive scrums passive line outs so the only physicality is tackling, basically. So we are here with uh, two parents of the next generation of Chlandaf RFC stars. Probably school age at, uh, for these boys at the moment. Certainly in the school uh, our boys are in, football is probably the king. Um, but, you know, we live in Wales, so uh, Welsh rugby is always going to be dominant. Um, but maybe in the in the cities, certainly in Cardiff, football's probably a, a slightly bigger sport in terms of participation levels. Um, what's your experience? Cricket a little bit as well. We were just talking yeah, right. earlier that uh, there is a there is a quite a quite a reach in terms of cricket at uh, at a young level. Again, similar from the from the area we're from, there's there's a, a good sort of club set up there in terms of a number of teams through the age groups. So cricket probably be a close yeah, close I, third, I suppose. It, it also depends, you know, where you come from in in Wales. So I'm from West Wales, and and in West Wales, rugby is absolutely the dominant sport. So the top sportsmen in school would all play rugby, and you know the the, the those cast-offs would be the ones playing football. Hi, I'm Tristan. My favourite rugby player is Rhys Samet. 
Hello, I'm Noah and my favourite rug play, rugby player is Dan Bigger. Hi, my name's Oscar and my favourite rugby player is George North. I was chatting to you earlier, Oscar. Who's your second favourite rugby player? Brian O'Driscoll. That's a non-Welsh man. How does that go down with your friends? Um, not well. <laughs> and tell me, you'd be pretty uh, young to remember Brian O'Driscoll actually playing. So how did you come across him? Um, YouTube. Yeah. And my dad told me he was the best centre in the world. What is the full-time score going to be on Saturday? I think it's going to be 29-32 to Wales. Okay. I think it's going to be 10 0 to Wales. Oh! I would think Wales might have this in the bag because they've they've won. Didn't they win their previous game against Ireland? And that was the and that was the Six Nations final. Wait, yeah, could you so just move? I think Wales are very are going to be very confident in winning against Ireland. Did you hear that there was uh, somebody on Irish radio today who said Wales were? very bad and that they're going to get hammered by Ireland. What do you Excuse have me, that, that, that's a bit offensive to us because we're Welsh. You could just keep your own opinion to yourself you could go and not say it. So if, you haven't, if you've got nothing good to say, don't say it. I agree. Come on, Owen. If you've got nothing good to say, don't say it. He's right. I think we need to uh, clip that and have it on, on loop for whenever you open your mouth, basically. You could, you could learn a thing or two from, from those kids, sure. Yeah, you, you you know, you found your calling chatting to sober people. Who knew? Who knew you could do that as well? There's no evidence that they were sober. <laughs> Careful now. <laughs> That's offensive to us. That was also my, my standout line. I, another one that yeah. we'll clip. That's offensive to us. Well, I think everybody gets offended these days. So it's, uh, it's an, off- an offence factory here. Uh, it's mm. bang on 8 o'clock. What's life like and um, what, what are your plans today? What, what, what delicacies are you having? Some nice pastries and cakes and, you know, centuries of, um, of empire have meant that they have a, a great tradition of cuisine. What, what is it? Yeah, they, they certainly do. Uh, they've got uh, Welsh cakes, which uh, I, I'm... I've been told that it is not just a flattened scone because it certainly tastes like a flattened scone and I almost got uh, kicked out of a, a shop Wales around the corner here for suggesting that it was a flattened scone. Um, so there was a, a lovely um, shopkeeper there, John, who uh, took me through his uh, his wares, his lemon curds and his marmalades and uh, his Welsh foods and we tried a bit of that. So we might try and... I'll be up in Abergavenny uh, later on today, up again in... Uh, in the valleys, so we'll we'll have uh, we'll have a look at more food up there, and also to, to try and chat to a few more people. Like I mean, uh, there is kind of like a, a, a sense here that this is a, a great uh, rugby town, and everybody in Cardiff Market, for example, is pretty excited about the game at the weekend. So we chatted to a few of them yesterday. We'll try and get some more of that stuff out tomorrow. Okay, uh, the bit that um, hooked me in totally to Ted Lasso was where he went, oh, "That right there, that's a scone." Okay, it's like a muffin, except it sucks all the spit right out of your mouth. It's like, that's exactly it. That's the perfect description. And there's a Welsh flat cake, whatever it's called. Do the same. No, it's, it'll be moister than a scone, for sure. Um, so that's, that's definitely in the plus column for a Welsh cake. I guess there's just less of it. Just a thin uh, thing. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like, I mean they're, they're pretty straightforward. They're, they're lovely. They, they've, they've done little um, kind of, uh, they've found loopholes in the Welsh cake recently where they put chocolate chips in them. But apparently that's sacrilege as well. It's almost like calling it flat scone. All right. We have an absolutely brilliant prize for you who are watching us live this morning on OTBAM. We're giving away a pair of tickets to Ireland against Wales in the Aviva this Saturday. So it's two days away. It's all with thanks to Aldi, official fresh food partner to the Irish Rugby, uh, who have launched Play With Your Food with the IRFU this week. 
New research has shown that over 40% of kids, of Irish kids, do not eat fruit and vegetables every day. Aldi are encouraging kids to think differently about how they consume fruit and veg. They can create food art in a fun and playful way that gets the whole family involved. To enter and be with the chance to win a pair of tickets to Ireland against Wales, all you have to do is tell us who our mystery voice is. They were providing lunch for us, and lunch was a white roll with ham, cheese and coleslaw. I do like a white roll with ham, cheese and coleslaw, I've got to say. But uh, it, in our house, it would be 100% of Irish kids who don't eat fruit and veg every day, even though you're like desperately trying to find ways to sneak it in. You blend it and you're like, no, they, I, I, can, I know the vegetables are there. They've disappeared from where they were beforehand. So it ain't funny. <laughs> this is serious business. So any help we can get, us beleaguered parents, we are going to take it. Anyway, you can tweet us the answer to that. If you know who you think that is, comment on the YouTube live stream or you can WhatsApp OTB at 087-9180-180. We will be giving these tickets away in the next two hours, so you need to do it. It's 8 o'clock on uh, Thursday morning. Is that you whistling in the background, Owen, or is that somebody else? Whistling. It sounded like it. Yeah, it was obviously. Um, you're you're um, you're in a busy spot in front of that little cathedral. Yeah, I can't even hear whistling. To be honest with you, clearly my my hearing has gone so bad. Yeah, I'm right right in the city centre uh, here of of Cardiff, Cardiff Castle, it's just around the corner there. Just decided to get a bit of a quieter spot here for this piece and uh, all the the shops behind me in terms of Cardiff Market and all that. So right in the right in the centre where uh, where everything's happening here. Is it nice? Yeah, like it is. Like I mean, it, 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 there is sort of, as I said earlier on, a sense that if there isn't a match on here or if people aren't going out, aka say a, a Tuesday or Wednesday night, uh, there is sort of a, a, an apocalyptic feel to some of the city centre that it is meant to be socialised in. I think it's kind of the same as Dublin, and a lot of people who would have gone through Dublin maybe during lockdown or even maybe on a on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night would kind of feel the same way. That that's certainly my sense of things here. I've never actually been to a game in the Principality. So that is, or the millennium, even when it was. So, I um, I need to change that because it, I've said it before, but the location is ridiculously good. There is there is no way that a, that a stadium should be that close to the city centre. It is dangerous for everybody involved, and uh, that's why they have to lower the alcohol prices. But need need to need to correct that. It is it looks like a phenomenal city for match day. Uh, Isil Cody's been in touch to say I love it at Owen Sheehan goes to Wales and clearly interviews an Englishman for safety so uh, well look I mean who are we to call Owen Coward you can do it for us Isil no worries and uh, what's next so we went up uh, north yesterday up to the valleys uh, Joe Malloy revealed himself last night as a, as a viewer of the valleys on MTV which was probably one of the, the worst admissions uh, on off the wall and that really is saying something so uh, in tribute to that uh, I went up that general direction to find out a little bit about their uh, sporting inclinations because this is of course rugby country have a look okay we have traveled north from cardiff up to the valleys to nelson and of course we are in wales so we are about to bring you deep into the heart of their national sport handball can i, can I call you one of nelson's finest handball players <laughs> at the moment yeah i'm the only surviving player i think <laughs> When I, when I first found out about handball, I started in Pengham Grammar School. There was a smaller fives court there. And as I got a little bit older, I realised there was one in the village. And kind of we'd come here and we'd play, you know, evenings, weekends, things like this. And then it gradually developed. Um, and we used to hold world championships every year because we thought we were the only people in the world who played it because nobody else had a court. And then Tom O'Connor from Ireland contacted us to say that they, they played it as well, and before we know it, there's people coming from America, Belgium, France, uh, so it, and which meant we could then have trips to visit all these other places. So it was great that I played a sport that not many people in Wales played, and I can go and represent Wales all over the world. 
handball is the original national sport of Wales. That's right, yeah. Uh, I've traced the, the history of the sport way back to ooh, the 9th century in Wales. And, um, but this particular court has got a lovely Irish accent on it because uh, the labouring to build this ball court was done by the Irish in the 1860s, in 1864. It was built by a Welshman, a fella called uh, Henry Roberts, who was a landlord of the pub next to the, the ball court, the Royal Oak. And what he did, he porched the trade, the handball trade, away from a rival pub just up the road called the Nelson Inn, where they had a small triangular yard and a small handball court there. But when the games became really popular in the 1860s, he noticed that there was no room for the spectators who had to wait outside the pub. So uh, what he did, he built this bigger ball court here where the spectators could stand all the way around the outside. And to do that, he used Irish labour to do it. And it was a very unpopular move at the time. And um, because we'd just come out of a very bitter coal mining dispute in the 1860s, and we, of course we're dealing with the Irish then, who weren't always welcome in the valleys in that particular time, because just after the famine there was a huge influx of Irish. And the Welsh were a little not so welcoming as we are now to the Irish. The Irish had a reputation because of the situation uh, of being outsiders. They were treated like outsiders and kept on the periphery of the communities. And um, they were perceived as a, uh, an economic threat because they undercut. To get, just to get the bare essentials for their families, they had to undercut most of the labouring. When I actually looked at the history of it and about some of the illegal betting that actually went on with the numerous people that was coming watching this and, oh yeah, it was sort of uh, a different world then. Uh, all illegal betting, lots of money was lost and lots of money was won on these games. And it was like Wales's sort of first national game. So this is the, the last standing handball court in Wales. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Unfortunately so, yeah. Uh, there was a it was a lovely example of a handball court in Swansea in a place called Jersey Marine, which was quite ornate, actually, and it was built the same year as this one, 1864, but sadly it was uh, demolished despite having a preservation order on it. Someone drove a bulldozer through it and built an hotel on top of it. So, uh, so this now is the last one. It's very much a social game. The, thing is, the advantage of handball is it's outdoors. So when the weather's good... You know, then it's, it's, it's healthy. And the other advantage is there's a pub on the left-hand side of it and there's a pub on the right-hand side of it. Talk us through, is there, is there any difference between the game that's played in Wales and, and the game of handball that's played in Ireland? It's very similar. The thing is, uh, the game in Ireland, it sort of progressed and evolved into a game that was played uh, indoors with four walls, whereas this has still retained the old three-ball aspect of it. But now there's, uh, there's a move with the wall-ball uh, associations to get a one-wall game, which will reunite all the handball, uh, all the handball games throughout the world. It's the appeal of team sports, really, which led to the decline of wa- uh, handball in Wales, because obviously you can get uh, was it 15 players in a team on the field, whereas with handball it's an individual sport, or you've got doubles. So that that's where there's more participation in these uh, team sports. So that led to a decline of handball in Wales, and it was perceived as well as an ancient sport and an old sport. So, uh, But um, the rise of... Uh, well, we all love football and rugby anyway. Primarily why rugby became quite sort of very popular in Wales, it was the average working man that was playing it. Now, 
England and Scotland, it seemed that the higher or middle classes played rugby. Really speaking, it was more uh, a working man's game then in Wales. And this was where then it was maybe like a class war to some extent. Um, the working man against the 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 boss then, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So is, is there a real sense of kind of like Welsh nationalism once the rugby starts up that doesn't exist other times of the year? Uh, oh yeah, there's uh, lots of pride, lots of passion, but actually for independence, I don't think the majority of people in Wales would actually want the union to split up. Um, it would be uh, a nightmare financially. And if you look at it, is that when you think of this was the melting pot uh, of humanity with all the industrial revolution, the mines and everything else where people came from all over Britain to work here. Yeah? Um, and I don't think anybody could actually say they're pure Welsh. You, know, that you take myself, my grandmother was Scottish, uh, her mother was Irish, <laughs> uh, which is that uh, my, uh, my grandfather was Welsh, one from North Wales, one from South Wales. So it's, a, it's like the big melting pot so that nobody is sort of, we've all got English ancestors or Scottish or Irish and it's in the mix, you know. Mm. So I don't think anybody wants to say, oh, we want to be completely separate from you lot. There's a lot of rugby clubs. Every village seems to have a rugby club and they're all still going. So, um, and the rugby club is very much the heart of the community, really. It's, you know, they'll have first team, second team, youth, mini rugby from under six up to, up to you know, youth as well. And so a lot revolves around the rugby club. Everyone knows each other up here, everyone likes each other. If everyone's up here having a drink, it's always full, it's always a good atmosphere, and everyone loves it. So when I first started with the girls, I was 13 playing for the under-18s, <laughs> but since we've got under-12s, under-14s, under-16s, under-18s, and then a women's team, and it's, every team is full. So the development is amazing. Like when I was younger, I was you know, I was like the only girl ever playing, and to look out now when you've got even girls playing with the boys still, they've got a pathway to come on to us. So it's just really nice to see that how much has developed over the years, especially with the Wales women and the new because they've brought, just brought in professional contracts. I think it's just give everyone that that bit of. Uh, motivation to go have a go, just give it a go is so social and even if you're not that confident, there's always someone you can go to and ask because so many people play in now that there's opportunities everywhere. That's a bit wild on, isn't it? Did you, uh, did you know about the Welsh handball tradition before you tripped to Wales this week? No, I, I didn't really. They've got uh, a couple of uh, traditional games or, or uh, original Welsh games and and handball. I'm not going to try and pronounce the, the Welsh name of it. It's, it's one of them. It was one of the three. So when that kind of came up on a bit of research, I was like, well, is this the, the same as the Irish one or is it more of the European style? And uh, it's basically Irish handball. And uh, it's interesting that you have got these or you used to have all these kind of open air, three-walled courts that have been demolished over time. And the fact that there was two of them in that mining town of Nelson just side by side um, whatever it might have been 50 years ago is, 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 is incredible. It's a sport that has died on its feet and uh, it's a bit sad for the lads that I spoke to yesterday. They're, they're, they're really kind of um, mourning a, a sport that is dead, but they're trying their best to keep it alive. And I guess part of that is this international standardization of, of the game, which they're hoping to get into the Olympic Games, which would be down as, as wall ball, I think. But it's the exact same 
premise of, of handball essentially except you'd have a more standardized unit of measurement as in there would be a, a white little box uh, drawn on on that big handball alley for example okay that like I, the irish welsh connection and the fact that we're all part of the same melting pot that's all pretty interesting isn't it yeah, I mean, like uh, didn't uh, John mention in the studio the other day? St. Patrick has, uh, as a Welsh man, is, is possibly how far it uh, it will go back. But in, in a kind of like a, a more serious sense, I guess it's the the, the late nineteenth century and the, the skepticism towards uh, the Irish when they came over for purely economic reasons. That's that's what Kevin was saying in that piece there. That it was purely economic that that they that they turned their noses down at, at the Irish because they would work for uh, much cheaper than the Welsh labourers would. And that allowed them and uh, contractors to, to undercut they them quite a bit. They took our jobs. It's yeah. Like, yeah. like that changes over a period of time and it becomes more complicated than that, where it is Ireland's uh, relationship with freedom and their own pursuit of home rule. And of course, you have uh, David Lloyd George, who is uh, quite pivotal in, in the Welsh home rule uh, movement to a point and to a very concrete point. And uh, he wasn't exactly a bastion of hope for the Irish independence movement. So there is a far more complicated political aspect to the Irish and Welsh contrast to the earlier part of the 20th century. And as you can hear there, uh, there isn't exactly the same level of appetite for Welsh independence in well, certain parts of Wales right now. Well, that's interesting because I think you're going to talk to somebody today who is, is particularly into it. And I think uh, some of the best stuff I've ever seen on YouTube is, is David Sheen talking about it. And like there is a, a real movement towards Welsh uh, independence coming from people who are very passionate about their language and their native sport and just the, the points of difference that they have like why would you continue to be ruled from uh, the centre where there is no interest in your well-being like it's much better to have self-determination and I, I, like, I, I, I think we've strayed into something fairly random here but I do feel like uh, what Ireland nearly fully achieved and only partly achieved is something that is a little bit of uh, rancor uh, historically for our Celtic uh, neighbours who are like, uh, you know, it, well, it wouldn't have worked out anyway. Definitely wouldn't have worked out. The, the money would never. We'd never been able. We'd never have been smart enough to come up with a way to make our own income. Like it's great that we had this protector right beside us. No, no, I ain't mm. buying it. And uh, and that's why these rugby matches matter so much. I think. Well, no, like I mean, that's that. That has been said uh, that Welsh nationalism comes to the fore during rugby weeks, and it's convenient for it to go into the background. It's been said by Eddie Butler, who I'm going to meet later on. So I'm not just pulling that quote out of the sky. It has been said in the past by somebody who knows quite a lot. He is also uh, from a place which is close enough to England. He would say that it doesn't even feel like Wales sometimes. So he is not from the north of Wales, as was mentioned by by that by that person in that um, VT that we played just there. Because I guess that makes sense to a certain point where it's like, oh, the north of Wales get a little bit disassociated. This is down in the valleys as well, where there is this growing movement as well. I'm not saying it's everybody, and we're only getting kind of straw polls this week. There's definitely a contrast out there, but there is also definitely a rising tide of like, hmm, we should at least be a little bit curious about this thing. Yeah, for sure. All right, we've got to take a quick break. Later, we're going to talk with Craig Hope of the Daily Mail about Roy Keane and his potential return to Sunderland. We're talking to Rory Connor about the Ireland team, the expectation, and just what's up for grabs still. And up next, Owen talks to Gerwin Price. OTB. A.M. At 17 minutes past eight, you're very welcome back to OTBAM. We've sent Owen Sheehan over to Wales. He's uh, mixing with, you know, the enemy this week just to see exactly what they think of us. And so far, it turns out they're very nice people, as we probably anticipated. And he's been safe, despite the fact that we tried to poke the bear a little bit in advance of his trip. One thing that has happened is that there isn't that much sport on at the moment, but there is darts tonight. I think it's the Premier League 
um, for live from Cardiff. Uh, Gerwin Price, obviously, is um, one of Wales' current superstars. Oh, I've got the opportunity to uh, sit down with him. Have a look. OK, delighted to say we are here in the middle of Cardiff, ahead of the beginning of the Premier League darts this week. Gerwin Price, as you can see, is with me. First of all, Gerwin, how big a week is this in your calendar, the homecoming, playing in front of the home crowd here in Cardiff? Yeah, obviously a big occasion. Every game in the Premier League, but you know, first first one off in Cardiff, you want to get off to a good start. So, yeah, hopefully I can get this one, get this one won, get it under the belt and the pressure's off as well. But it's, it's nice just to be back playing in the Premier League. I've been missed out on it last year, so... Yeah, I'm looking forward to it and obviously in front of the French uh, Welsh crowd tomorrow. What is the Welsh crowd like at a darts event? It's a little bit better than everywhere else, <laughs> for me anyway. No, it's, um, it's not the biggest venue, but you know it's the best atmosphere. And yeah, especially being Welsh and playing in Cardiff, I always get a good welcome. And yeah, the atmosphere is going to be buzzing tomorrow. What's the biggest difference then, do you think, between the crowd and the reception you get in Wales as opposed to, say, Alexandra Palace? Well, obviously it's Wales and I'm Welsh, so obviously they're going to support me a lot more here. So, yeah, I'm just looking forward to that. But you know, as far as the every other venue, yeah, I just hope for the best and and, and see see what the what the people are like at the you know like like Liverpool and Belfast in three weeks. So, yeah, let's see how those venues go as well. Yeah, do you think there's like a, a changing now at the moment towards people supporting you and actually? getting into the idea that, you know what, darts players should be showing personality, they should be showing energy up on stage. Have you felt that at all? Because maybe Alexandra Palace, from a spectator's point of view, was a little bit disappointing, if, if I say so myself, from what the crowd were, were saying to you and, and their own reaction. Yeah, but just not just me, but I think it was whoever was playing somebody English, which is um, a, a bit uh, disappointing, really. Yeah, it does put a dampener on the event and especially for the players that are involved. But, you know, we can only do what we can do as professionals and us do our best up on stage and just throw some darts. And, yeah, that's uh, all I'm here to do. It is a massive week for uh, Welsh sport in general. Six Nations, obviously, starting on, on Saturday. Are, are you a rugby fan? Like, are, do you support the team? Do you, do, you, do you follow it closely these days? Not so much uh, any club teams, but uh, every time Wales are playing, obviously Wales-Ireland this weekend, a big game, a tough game out in Ireland. So, yeah, I always watch international teams and... Yeah, wish all those boys well and hopefully they can actually turn over the Irish. You don't want that, but <laughs> I want that. Do you think they will? It's going to be tough. I mean, um, they're not probably in a good position as it was maybe two, three years ago. But um, yeah, it's going to be tough, but uh, they, they can do it if uh, if they put their minds to it and I'm sure they'll go out there and give it, give it 100%. It's really interesting. You've obviously spoken tons of times about your rugby past, but I'm really interested specifically in, in the art of being a, a hooker before coming into the game of darts. Is it reading into it too much to, to say that there are certain similarities because it is the one position in rugby where it's repetition, repetition, repetition with the line-out shows? Yeah, obviously it's hand-eye coordination and obviously timing and things like that, but... Yeah, it's probably some similarities for when I'm throwing a ball into the lineup. Uh, apart from that, no, everything else is just physical and technical. It can be no oh, technical in, in scrims. You know, you can be technical in the way you're throwing darts. But I tend to not overthink things when I'm throwing and just just be as natural as possible. But if you're playing rugby and in, in the front row, then things can get a bit technical and you need to work on things like that. That's interesting. So you would have had a coach saying, move your legs into your right. Obviously, yeah. When you're in the front row, you you got to either have your legs back, you get you know you get your body position right, and it's probably similar to similar to darts. But you know, with darts, it just comes naturally, and in rugby, you know, you're sort of coached into certain ways to play.
That's because, I guess, given your arrival on the scene a relatively short time ago, you kind of had to be a natural, didn't you, at, at Dart? You didn't necessarily have somebody breaking down, say, your scrum position as you would have done in rugby, for example. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in rugby, you get coached and, you know, sometimes you're made to perform as robots. You know, you, you're in a certain place at a certain time and you know, on a dartboard, you just go up, do your own thing. And, yeah, I came, in, I came into this sport, no background in darts whatsoever and, I think that worked out best for me. You know, if I started playing darts at a younger age, you're probably overthinking, I'd coaching. I just think for anybody who's out there who's never probably played darts before, looking to go into the sport, just be yourself. Don't look too deep into, into technical things and just do what comes natural to you. It's pretty obvious why you don't play rugby anymore because the darts thing didn't go too badly for you. But I'm interested in what happened before that in terms of getting to, to Glasgow in particular. Why didn't you get picked up sooner by a professional team? Why, why did it happen at, at that stage? I'm not, I, I wish I knew that answer. You know, I haven't, I've not got a clue. You know, I, I left Neath when I was 19 and went down to... to uh, I left Cross Keys, rather, went down to Neath when I was 19 sort of with the hopes to become a professional with, with the Ospreys in time and that never really panned out so end up going back to Cross Keys but it's just things in you just got to be in the right place at the right time I think and um, probably yeah I'm, like I said it's a hard question to answer because I'm not sure of the answer really Sure. It was Gregor Townsend that signed you, signed you for Glasgow Warriors right? Yeah I never really signed for him I was still playing for Cross Keys and the Glasgow lost uh, two of their hookers I think when they were going into the Six Nations so they needed someone on backup and I just went up there for you know a two three month spell while the boys were playing for their country playing for Scotland and um, yeah it was a good time while I was there but there was obviously another hooker still in front of me and I never really got an opportunity to play as much time as I wanted but it's just like I said you just need that break now and again um, so did you get time, much time with the squad? Like, were you, were you, did you play? How many games did you play with them? Yeah, I, 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 when I got up there, we played in a trial game against one of the county sides, which I, which I played in. I played hooker and back row, I think, in that game. Then I actually started the first game then against Zebra. I had a decent game, and I came on a, as a sub against the Gwent Dragons, which was nice to turn over a Welsh team. But by a, by a considerable margin as well, which was good. But yeah, I never really had much time after that. And obviously, I think one or two other boys were coming back from injury, which they didn't think was going to come back so quick. And I just didn't get enough time to showcase what war I was all about. Really, did you get much time with Finn Russell in that dressing room? I think yeah, I think he was there while I was there. Yeah, it was a few of the boys. I'm not, I'm not sure of all of their names, but yeah, Finn Russell was still there, and obviously the. But I think most of the Scottish team are from South Africa or England. I don't think most of them are Scottish. Like, uh, it's probably a bit of truth in that yeah. for sure. But when you look back now at the game, because there's like quite a lot of talk of, of hookers getting bad injuries and changing the scrum to stop like the the force of impact on your upper body and stuff. Obviously, darts was never going to not be your career. But you're kind of happy that that, that you're not in rugby in the, for, for the long haul, or that you weren't in rugby for the long haul, given the attrition of the game. No, that that was the that was the main part. I played the the main reason I played the game. I used to love being physical. I used to ro- love the ball in hand, and and you know you just carry the ball hard. And I used to love going into contact. And I used to be I used to love when people used to run into me and those big collisions. And the same in the scrum, you know, it, it did sort of get more technical the scrimmage as I was coming towards the end of my career. But, uh, you know, I sh- I'm sure I would have adapted it had I stayed on and, and kept playing, but. Yeah, no, the physical part of the game is why people play. Mm. 
Well, was there ever any decision in, in your head then in terms of like keeping the, the physicality of, of, of say, uh, staying fit yourself? Was there ever any question about not keeping that up after you, you left rugby? Because I know you've said in interviews in the past that it is, it's a game of endurance, especially at the World Championships. Yeah, but that's, you don't have to be physically fit. You just have to be mentally fit, I think. And, you know, you, you need to have some sort of endurance, but nothing compared to if you're going to be playing rugby. So it's just for me, it was just ticking over, trying to keep my, my body in shape and, you know, less weights, just more more conditioning. And, yeah, I've sort of slipped off the slipped off track a little bit the last year or two since I snapped my Achilles. But, you know, that's sort of yielded up pretty, pretty nice now. So back in the gym and, and doing doing what I should have been doing over the last two years. But, you know, with the injury, it just sort of put me off track. What is that mental fatigue like when you get into the white heat of a championship battle and you are starting to get grinded down by, by the, the, the games? To be honest with you, I don't think I've felt like I've been in one of those situations because obviously I, 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 I prefer the longer games, I prefer the longer formats, so I think my endurance during the games is, is, is there, so yeah, I, I'm fine with those situations. Just one last uh, thing then, Gurren. I've seen that you've set up, obviously, a darts academy in Wales. How important is it to give back and to try and encourage more people to, to pick up the game from your perspective? Yeah, obviously, I've had a lot I've had a lot out of the sport, knowing it's such a short period of time, so I appreciate where I've gone. It's nice to give something back and opportunities to young kids, which I never had probably when I was younger you know, in, in the darting, darting world. But, yeah, I mean, it was brilliant to... Uh, become a world world champion and pick up majors but for somebody to come out of that academy and, and to go on and to probably replicate what I've done it probably mean a little bit more yeah because you are the first Welsh world champion or the first Welsh in a lot of different categories how much have you seen the impact of that in terms of I don't know people coming up to you in the street and saying that you've inspired another generation is, is that a thing after your achievements over the last couple of years yeah but obviously I'm getting recognised a lot more around the streets so obviously I'm being talked to a lot more and everybody's Seems to be who I speak to, uh, uh, you know, fanatics on, on the on the darts. So, not just myself, but Johnny and, and the rest of the Welsh boys are obviously promoting the sport well in Wales and and making, like you said, the younger generation want to pick up darts and, and following our footsteps. Final prediction then for Saturday. I know obviously you're going to do the business on Thursday. So, final prediction for Saturday: Ireland against Wales. I think it's going to be a tough game. I think Wales could win it, but uh, I think Ireland will probably turn them over out there. It's going to be a tough game for them. You're a realist rather than an optimist. Yes, <laughs> uh, I think with my head rather than my heart this time. Gerwin, thanks for your time and good luck this week. No thanks. Jesus, and they're lulling you into a false sense of security over there. Ah, we so we'll barely keep it kicked out to you. The, the Welsh people are better better at yerring than Gary people, and that is a and. Uh, I guess something that I just realised over the last couple of days uh, as a county Kerry has lost their grip on the art of the era and have moved down to second place against Wales and this is quite a heartbreaking moment I'm not going to lie It's going to be an important um, realisation for you though you'll go back the WhatsApp Kerry Mafia group will be full of this talk we need to redouble our efforts here get, get Clifford out of the team rest him for the game against Dublin let the dubs come in and roll through us that's exactly what you want give them this false sense of security that all is well in the world that's what I would be doing. Uh, right, we, we do have a brilliant prize for you here on OTBM this morning. We're giving away a pair of tickets to Ireland against Wales in the Aviva on Saturday. We'll have another pair to give away tomorrow as well. It's all thanks to Aldi, official fresh food partner to Irish Rugby, who have launched Play With Your Food with the IRFU this week. New research shows that over 40% of Irish kids don't eat fruit and veg every day. Aldi are encouraging kids to think differently about how they consume fruit and veg. They can create food art in a fun and meaningful way that gets the whole family involved. To enter, to be given the chance to win... 
All you got to do is tell us who our mystery voice is. They were providing lunch for us, and lunch was a white roll with ham, cheese, and coleslaw. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a treat day. You can tweet us your answer, you can comment on the YouTube live stream, or you can WhatsApp OTB at 0879180180. Oh, and you've been the hardest working man in showbiz. Uh, you've, you've done more work for us. What have we got next? Yeah, well, more work uh, continues uh, over the next little while uh, today, and I will join you again tomorrow morning with more great stuff here from uh, from Wales. But there was also just one more bit from yesterday, because as uh, Gordon Price mentioned in his piece, there, he's not the only Welshman in uh, Premier League. Darts, uh, the reigning champion uh, is Johnny Clayton, who is also a Welshman, who is also a former rugby player. Maybe not uh, signed uh, at a profession level, but he is Welsh, therefore he has played rugby at one point or another. So uh, I also got the opportunity to sit down with uh, Johnny Clayton yesterday. We are here with uh, Johnny Clayton, who has uh, just survived an attack from a wild dart. What happened? Yeah, I just stabbed myself in the arm with a dart somehow, but never mind, all fixed now, ready to go. Is, is darts a dangerous game? Uh, obviously, I just stabbed myself in the arm. No, listen, I do some silly things and I've just caught myself, so it's all dead. Uh, life must be pretty good uh, at the moment. I mean, it was an uh, excellent 2021, obviously. I mean, World Championships probably didn't end how you would have liked, but people at home, speaking from experience, got an unbelievable kick out of your journey through that uh, championships. With a bit of time to heal the emotional scars from that, do you feel that that was kind of like a, a World Championship that did stand you in good stead? Um, to be honest, listen, obviously disappointed that I'd lost, but in that match against Michael Smith, I think it had everything... There wasn't much more in the tank that I could have done. You know, to be fair, I think, you know, one one player had to lose that game and unfortunately it was me, but I've got loads of positives out of it. So, um, yeah, you know, I'm just looking forward to this year now and hope for the best. And no better place to start. This Welsh crowd, uh, how much do they add to your game or how much energy do they give you when you're playing here in front of your home fans? Yeah, fantastic. I've got a lot of friends through darts and Wales, obviously. Um, I do find the Welsh crowd one of the best crowd, sporting crowds in the world. So um, hopefully playing home on my first full you know, um, Premier League, which we travel around, I mean, um, it's going to be fantastic. I cannot wait until tomorrow night. It's one hell of a week in Welsh sport between that and obviously the Six Nations beginning on Saturday. We were just chatting to Gurman a moment ago about it. Is it something that you pay close attention to at all? I suppose as a Welshman there is no reason why you wouldn't pay close attention to the rugby. Yeah, um, I love my rugby, my international rugby especially, but um, we've got Ireland away. So um, well, I can't see us winning that to be honest. Um, I think the Irish are going to be just that little too strong at the home ground. So... Um, yeah, cross fingers, hopefully we'll do something special and, and, and nick it off the Irish. Yeah, it wouldn't be an unfamiliar feeling, I dare say, if they were to do so. No, it's true enough. But listen, sport, sport, you can never, you can never plan too far ahead. You know, you play what, what's in front, the same as darts. So, um, you know, cross fingers is going to be a, a red win tomorrow. Can you tell us a little bit about your own rugby playing days? Yeah, I played lower divisions, but thoroughly enjoyed it. I played um, 16 years for my village club and, um, you know, a few injuries through it, but rugby was everything to me. I often get the question, would I have started darts before I actually did? And the answer to that is no. I loved my rugby. You know, it, it, it's every Welshman's dream to play for your country in rugby. But obviously I wasn't big enough, I wasn't good enough. So um, I tried darts and I, I got my honours through darts. So, yeah, I, in the end I got there. 
Am I right in saying you played out half? No, scrum half. Scrum Sorry. Half. Yeah, scrum half. Surely you weren't too small to play scrum half. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I don't think I was nine stone soaking wet. So, um, yeah, I, the, the diet has changed since that, them days. So, um, no, I was, I, I was tiny, but, you know, I was good enough for my village and, yeah, it made me proud. What um, I think people uh, really get from watching darts is this sense of a commonality between them as viewers and the players, people who have worked ordinary jobs and are making it as, as darts players. I get the sense that there is something similar about that when it comes to rugby, that, there, that it is quite uh, a working class game in terms of certain areas of Wales as opposed to some of the other countries around Europe. Yeah, I think so. Do you know what I mean? The saying is work hard, play hard. And you know, it's like, personally, it was to on a Saturday for me it was like well, the biggest day of the week you know you played a game of rugby which is my favourite sport and all your friends are with you so you know you'd catch up on the weeks whatever you've done in the week and you know you played rugby so you know the banter the enjoyment afterwards it was all on a Saturday and you know that, that's a big thing in my view because it brings people together it really is a central part of society in this country, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. You know, um, like Wales is a massive sport nation, you know, rugby especially. So, um, you know, me and Gezi are bringing darts through as well now, so that's fantastic. And, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big thing. I, I, I generally think sport is a massive, massive part of life. And a hugely positive one if channeled in the right way. Oh, yeah, definite, definite. It's like, you know, you make a lot of friends. Obviously, you make a lot of enemies when you play on, on stage or on, on the field. But, you know, my personal point of view is that's where, you know, you work hard on the Saturday. That's where I met all my friends, enjoyed good times, and it's, it's a big part of life. Johnny Clayton in conversation with our own Owen Sheehan who'll speak with Eddie Butler the voice of rugby a little bit later on and also it turns out a prominent voice for Welsh nationalism too so we'll be talking about that on tomorrow's show at 8.36 though John Duggan is with us John good morning to you Ger how you doing? I mean it was one of those nights where it's like where uh, so much happening like genuine big names doing important and interesting things across a multitude of sports Well Mike TV and Willy Wonka was able to get into televisions and that's how I felt watching Celtic Rangers. I wanted to go into the TV and appear in the crowd at Celtic Park. It looked incredible. The tempo, the blinding pace that Celtic played with, it was just, this is the start. This is the worldwide announcement of the Roaring Twenties beginning. Wow, that was something else that first half. Now maybe Rangers are muck, but Celtic... I think so though. They've, they've got players and they've money and like, Celt- okay, so their manager might be, we don't know. He, he could yeah. be terrible. But Celtic pulverised them. It was absolutely fantastic. That's, that is the impact of fans. That is the impact of an old firm and being up for it and the atmosphere. And also Ange Postacoglu bringing all these players into the team. Yeah, Hatate like, being the, obviously the key one at the moment. So uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting grief from people on our YouTube channel saying I know nothing about how well Sunderland are run. But I have to say that if you, if you look at what Ange Postacoglu has done and his ability in the transfer market and you, you, you match what he knows about world football versus what... I would say Roy Hodgson knows at this stage what Steve Bruce knows and and also it seems like what Roy Keane knows. If you are involved in club ownership, you must be looking at what you can do if you have any sign or any ability to get a, a, a market advantage. Like if you think about it, right? How did the Celtics owner get rich? 
by understanding markets, by finding uh, places to, to get better value and then by investing in it. That's, that's, the, that's his uh, background as a financier. He's done it again with this. This is like there's, there's somebody who, who knows something about a part of the world of football that I'm going to be able to go and get value and uh, in, inject that into my team. Sunderland are not doing that. West Brom are not doing that. Watford are not doing that. They're just going for a big name, a quick fix, empty calories. I, you, I think hats off. Well, if Roy keeps hot, uh, Watford in the Premier League, he'll have done his job. But I think what you might be getting at is you need somebody ahead of the curve, somebody progressive, somebody who's a, an independent thinker, somebody who's thinking in 2025 realm. Like the most impressive manager for me in the Premier League is Graham Potter. Came from Ostersunds, has done an incredible job at Brighton. Brighton, where they are in the Premier League, play really, really good football. Okay, they might lack a cutting edge up front, but uh, what I, I actually want to watch Brighton play football. And that's the issue Roy Keane will have at Sunderland if he does get the job. Um, he'll need a good assistant. I think that's one thing if he does get the job. Will fair work? Well, he needs a good scouting system. He needs he needs the ability to go to Japan and find the best young players or to, or to, to get the best young players from... The whatever league, right from from Eastern Europe, and that's just not going to be there. So uh, I don't I, certainly that there's been no sign of his ability as a a manager to sign against the grain players who are playing to a specific style of system. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's been it's been random. It's been shotgun. It's been scattergun. Like, but it's too long. We don't like it's what eleven years now. Fair enough. It's a, it's a fair point. Uh, but eleven years also says a lot, though. What, where were the clubs taking the gamble on Roy Keane? Now, I know he worked with Martin at the Republic of Ireland. He worked as assistant manager at Villa and Forest. But who was taking a gamble on him? And we know he's been itching to get back into it. Just look at the Gary Neville interview. Um, but I just feel that I do think players have changed. Uh, like if you probably look back at the managers there, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when Roy Keane and Sunderland were in the Premier League, I was looking at Chris Hutchins and Martin Yall and Sammy Lee. Like it is a hard business to stay in at the top. And if he gets another chance. What is his template? What is his blueprint? Has he spent the last two to three years thinking about this, speaking to people, getting ready and almost using punditry as a holding position? I'm not so sure that he has. And I just think he's been very good for TV. He's been... He's Fantastic. Been, yeah, it's like, it's exactly what you want. It's somebody who doesn't care, who's just saying what they see. Like, and I know that... Uh, there, there needs to be more nuance, and there needs to be an explanation about why one team is doing. But, but you, if you had a if you had a team of nuanced people, it'd be boring. Exactly. And Roy and Keane comes in with the headline. He comes in with the red meat, and, and he comes in. Some, and sometimes he just cuts it. Like uh, there's perfect chemistry there, where yeah, other people yeah. are doing that job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it's worked out. So. Um, so look, if he gets it, best luck to him. Um, everybody deserves a, another chance, and it's up to him then to prove it. But like the interesting thing with Sunderland, they're owned by a 24 year old. Was a Kyril Louis uh, Dreyfus, whose late father used to be the principal shareholder in Marseille. So there's not a shortage of money there at Sunderland. And obviously, they, by sacking Lee Johnson, they want to get a quick fix. They want to be back in the championship next season. And maybe they feel a mo- if Roy Keane in his 2006 seven guys could be that motivational figure. But is he too long out of the game? That's the question we got. Is he too long out of the game to be an effective manager at this level right now? And it's interesting to see that Mick McCarthy's name has even been mentioned. Yeah, and look, he, he might not be. He, he might be able to get them up and to get them promoted. I, I, you know, just in the long term, if you're thinking about how to run a club and what your ambition is, like understanding that the the global network 
of how to scout players. You need to know where the best young players in Nigeria are coming through and you need to know where the best young players in the third tier of Italian football are coming through and how much it's going to cost to get a player in from Poland versus I'm going to sign a bunch of players who uh, are you know, in, entrenched in the league that I'm in at the moment because that doesn't work long term. Well, you don't want to see Roy Keane in a way getting the job at Sunderland and then like, okay, there's 10 Irish players who joined the club because that's what you know. Um, it's unlikely, I think. Uh, and Stephen Ward won't be joining. <laughs> like, and you, you can have a situation where Steve Hitchin left Spurs there yesterday. He was their um, recruiter, effectively. And some of the deals that they did under him, you know, you'd have to argue. Tonga Yundumbele joined the club. The record signing has been an absolute flop. It's gone back now to Leon. Getting that part of it right, as Liverpool and City have shown, as they do their business quietly and with ruthless precision. Now, obviously, this is a different level, League One, but that's what you need. You need old school. I don't know if that works anymore, and that's why I always look at the Graham Potters uh, of the world and see these people as being advanced. And that's the challenge at a, at a different level that Lampard has now. Who's Lampard going to get into Everton? Because obviously, their recruitment has been an absolute unmitigated disaster in the last five years. Yeah, it has ruined the club and yeah. the, the wages that they're paying has, has ruined the club. And, and you know, I, I don't think that story is written just yet exactly how, how badly uh, things might end up there. Very briefly, the other big thing that's happened, um, there's going to be a joint venture between Eurosport Discovery, and, yeah. and uh, BT Sports. It's Discovery, the, the Discovery Group, but it will mean that um, combined they will have the Olympic Games, Premier League, UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, Cycling's Grand Tours, Tennis Grand Slams, the Winter Sport World Cup season and Premiership Rugby. So it's a fairly compelling package and it is for Britain and Ireland. So that means that we'll have an impact on us here and what we're able to watch. Um, and it will mean uh, some more meaningful competition in the marketplace. Um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, with all these things, consumers just want their bread and butter. They just want good content, uh, whoever the you know, owner is whether BT want to offload this at Discovery and, and do that with Eurosport. I quite like Eurosport's coverage, I have to say, Jerry. You know, I think their tennis is excellent. So, game set and maths. Yeah. <laughs> like the commentary, Simon Reid and Tim Henman, it's, I always watch it. So, no issue with that. Um, I'm just looking at this, the stories in the back page, Jerry, but the Saudis, the Saudi thing is a runaway train. One and a half billion they've set aside for this um, assault on golf. Which I was what I would I would describe that in a way in a competitive way with the whole uh, Asian tour event. Now they effectively they've they've gone into the Asian tour. They're going to pump up this Asian tour. You have got McDowell and Larry playing there in the Saudi International at the moment. I was just going through some of the players. Cormac Sharvin is actually another one of them. Hundred million they're offering Bryson DeChambeau. Phil Mickelson's done a a big reveal uh, article with a picture of himself and Greg Norman. He's thinking about his future. He's been very critical of the PGA Tour about their greed, which is an, an interesting uh, angle from Phil Mickelson. There's a book actually coming out on Phil Mickelson by Alan Shipnook, an unauthorized biography, which is going to be the book of the year. Alan Shipnook is a brilliant golf writer. It's coming up about May or June. It is going to be sensational right. on this Phil Mickelson book. That's interesting because the, the little tidbits you've heard about him wandering around with the, the cash that everybody gets 100 whenever he, that's his tips. Like somebody carries that much cash and he's a big gambler and has yeah. been involved in the share trading stuff. It's like he's, he's, he's had an interesting life. He has an interesting life and just like they're trying to get Bryson, um, Dustin Johnson's out there. They're signing NDAs with players there's the whole uh, this is going to be a cold war now between the PGA the DP World Tour and the Saudis and who have the deepest pockets in world sport yeah and 
one interesting point I think was made by Rick Broadbent, I think it was, if correct me if I'm wrong, anybody, uh, in the UK Times is that the players might be arguing that, you know what, the Saudis will have to change their ways uh, if they want to be putting a better light out there. But it's up to the players then at these press conferences to say that rather than going, well, I'm not a politician. I don't know. Yeah. Don't ask me. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to provide for my family. I mean, I, I do wonder if there's any, if there are any moments in recorded history where a sports event has actually genuinely led to or yeah. the power of sport. Like, I, 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 I would like to speak to a historian who knows about this stuff or uh, a sociologist who has, has properly studied the impact of sport and culture on oppressive regimes. Like, did the did not going to South Africa, how how did that help with the fall of apartheid or did it at all? Like, you know, is that something... Did that Tommy the, Smith, uh, did the salute help in any way? Yeah, like, or is that something that the rest of the world says, oh, we were really important, we didn't go and, and do this thing, whereas actually, you know... Well, maybe Ali might have been with Vietnam War, you could argue. Like what? What is the impact? And he was part of a wider movement as well. So, like you know, it, it's there's a pie chart. Everything, everything has a million different causes and, and effects. And so, attributing one thing being the the reason that this thing happened, like you know, Dev Hasselhoff claiming, "Oh, well, I, I helped to bring down the fall of the Berlin Wall." We obviously know that didn't happen. But we, you know, did the record still sell well in Germany though? Did culture play a part <laughs> in that? Like, how important is it in in the? Uh, the lubrication of ideas, really. And so, I don't know. Is is there any argument to be made for that whatsoever? I'm certainly not making the argument, but I am interested in finding somebody who knows a bit about it to say, you know, the Moscow Olympics, no impact, or actually a seismic moment here where people wake up to something, uh, or nothing. I don't know. Well, well, it wasn't through his words, but through his achievements, Jesse Owens really you know, threw it back in the face of Hitler. But then Hitler went on and, and murdered yeah. 20 million yeah. people afterwards. So like it yeah. didn't actually, yeah. Yeah. do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's, and it, it doesn't, so I think, is that not us just kind of retrospectively going, oh, that was, but actually it, by going to those no Olympic Games, but to, was, it, was it worse that America sent somebody to that Olympic Games and that he did that? He, you know, though that great achievement happens at that Olympic Games, which ultimately probably is a local triumph. You know, this notion that he was embarrassed by it, not to the point where it had any impact on his ability to go and wreak havoc. Do we actually know that he was? Um, exactly. Or is that just put through a lens of history? Exactly, exactly. So, I, mean, I guess that's the point. So all of this is completely unreliable. So uh, will, the, will the, thing with, the key thing with the Saudi thing is, will the major championships, will, will, the, apparently there's a tournament in the UK, which is part of the Saudi, um, I think called the Centurion Tournament. And that's when the... DP World Tour and the PGA Tour will say no actually we're not going to release you that's when you're going to get your standoff and like there's a degree of warning that well you can't be involved in the Ryder Cup but the majors are the key for events I think the PGA of America would not be uh, sanctioning players to play in the PGA Tour Championship if they were a part of a Saudi breakaway tour it's fascinating uh, we kind of had this in cricket in the 70s and 80s at Kerry Packer in Australia different type of obviously you know not, not necessarily controversy around that but more about it being a financial reward so yeah the major is like okay you can play in the Saudi golf tour but you can't play in the Masters you can't play in the Open that's when the players would have to make a choice and also um, how much money is enough money but the, the, the bottom like the bottomless pit and this seems to be an MBS thing um, the bottomless pit of money is just woo. yeah I mean they're in the game for glory sure but actually they're in the game for money and so if you can't play in the Masters, but you go and you make 
20 million guaranteed what are you going to do like if, if if you are purely nakedly in the sport for making money you don't really care about the green jacket the green jacket is a is an opportunity to milk the corporate scene in America where you will always be getting paid 50 grand or 100 grand or a quarter of a million to appear somewhere that for, for a lot of them right for for a lot of the nakedly uh, we I am a business this is a business I just do this thing and so if the Saudis are coming and saying we're going to guarantee you that income irrespective of whether or not you win the green jacket I think that decision and we, we'll see well then you know? it does then maybe look maybe I'm being naive but it then becomes utterly soullessly cynical uh, whereas the whole point of the green jacket is that you can't buy one you can't go into the locker room you can't be at the champions dinner that this is a, a, a privilege that you earn by your, your outstanding play in the I suppose tribute to the annals and the history of the yeah. game and I, I think Roy McIlroy stands alone at the moment in this and is to be cherished and admired for that stand that he has taken and to be fair Justin Rose Patrick Cantlay didn't take the Saudi money this week they're playing in Pebble Beach so um, right one last thing you, we, you made the press in Wales online uh, did I? did you see this? What about saying was it twenty points? Like I was actually even. We're going to kill them. Irish rugby show disparages Wales team live on air. Wayne Pivak's team are in for a. Where is it? Uh, Ireland are going to kill Wales. Uh, John Duggan interjected. It might be a bit like two thousand and two. I think it was fifty four ten. I kind of feel like it's going to be like that this weekend. Well, I was kind of. I felt like a spare tire in that conversation. So it was interesting. I kind of jumped into. Um, oh, you the, were the, one of the ones I circled. Yeah, I'm yeah, surprised they didn't pay, at you. Uh, well, well, did you get at it last year? Not yet. No, no. Um, no, they haven't discovered us yet. They're sensitive. Well, they're waiting until after they win. They're not going to win. It's going to be a, a clear victory for Ireland on Saturday. I'm pretty confident about that. But uh, Wales Online, I don't know if it's got a lot of readers, but um, I'm sure it's uh, very popular in Wales. We've got a brilliant prize for you this week on OTBAM. We're giving away a pair of tickets to Ireland against Wales in the Aviva on Saturday. It's all thanks to Aldi, official fresh food partner to the Irish rugby team, who have launched Play With Your Food with the IRFU this week. New research has shown that over 40% of Irish kids don't eat fruit and veg every day. Aldi are encouraging kids to think differently about how they consume fruit and veg. They can create food art in a fun and playful way that gets the whole family involved. To enter and be with a chance to win a pair of tickets to Ireland Wales, all you've got to do is tell us who your mystery voice is. They were providing lunch for us, and lunch was a white roll with ham, cheese, and coleslaw. You can tweet us the answer. You can comment on YouTube or WhatsApp. Oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty. I do. I, I said this earlier. A white roll with cheese and coleslaw is one of life's great treats. Rare. Doesn't feel great afterwards, but like when you're when you're like making a pig yourself. I am on a complete regime. I'm not allowed white rolls. I haven't had a white roll since Christmas. So there, you're actually right. It's a treat, yeah. But it, you never feel good after it, so that's all right. Right, it's uh, 8.52 this morning. If you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. On this week's episode of The Red 78, it's our Munster podcast. Quinny and Neve looked at the promise of youth seen against Zebra. Just how many Munster players should make it into Ireland starting 15 on Saturday? And with the nomination for EPC or Player of the Year now to his name, why Jack O'Donoghue has to be on Andy Farrell's radar. Are you watching Andy Farrell? So... It was your job this week to pick a player um, and who's that player? Yeah, so my player this week is Jack O'Donoghue and look, I am very, very aware of how competitive the back row is in Ireland and, you know, who you're dropping to bring him in. I think he's just had such a brilliant, brilliant season and he is literally playing so well. You've got to try and find a way to get him in there, I think almost. Um, I think he's very difficult to think that of the 38 or whoever he players selected for his nation squad that he's not in there um, in the best 38 and um, I think that that's um, you know 
a tough, probably it's probably a tough frame to take, knowing that you're churning out these brilliant performances. Youngest player to ever reach 150 caps. He's obviously, the, the next natural leader in that group after Peter O'Mahony, and um, because Mahoney's not playing, Jack Donnelly who's captaining quite a lot. His work rate is phenomenal. It's his pace over the ground that I can't get over. If you ever sit back and watch him live, for any kick chases, he is almost beating the next chaser beside him. Like he is that quick. Intelligence is I, I probably one area you'd like to see a little bit of work on is the, the discipline. I think he gives away a few penalties. Um, but I think every back row um goes through that. So I, I, I yeah, I just think it's difficult that he's not in there. I think it must be frustrating for him. Yeah, you can get the Red 78 wherever you get your podcasts and uh, you can subscribe to that. Alan Quinlan and Neve Briggs there uh, on the Rugby Channel social media. You can watch it back there on uh, YouTube as well. Roy O'Connor is with us of the Irish Independent. We we expect the team to be announced a little later on this afternoon. It yeah. looked yesterday like it was going to be ours, but there's been a late surge towards Mac Hansen. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting day yesterday where these Mac Hansen rumours started appearing and you kind of dug a little deeper and I, I couldn't get enough clarity to go with it this morning, but... Uh, I know Jerry Thorney did in the Irish Times, and Murray Kinsella strongly hinted at it. I hinted, you know, I, I believe he's in a serious battle for that left wing spot, and there's a bit of momentum behind him. I wouldn't uh, confidently predict he's definitely in just yet, but um, it does sound like a lot of the sounds coming from Portugal is he's had a really good five, six days of training that he's impressed them, that they like what he brings in terms of replacing what James Lowe does, you know, in terms of like for like, that kind of unpredictability, that attacking now that Ireland might lose if they go, you know, Keith is a very good attacker, but he doesn't have that kind of offloading game, that unpredictability, that, you know, level of involvement maybe that James Lowe brings. So there's, yeah, there's serious momentum behind Mark Hansen and it would be a, I, I didn't have him in the mix at all coming into the Six Nations window. I thought he was in there to get a good bit of experience. Maybe a cap along the way against Italy. Maybe it's important to get him cap because he is also Australian qualified. But you don't do that in your first. If, you know, you don't. Well, you don't give out caps in your first game unless you really think this guy's going to be, be good enough to beat Wales. So yeah, yeah. Uh, they can't afford to lose to Wales. They can't afford. No, absolutely. They can't afford to lose to Wales. Andy Farrell. You know, he, he, if he was doing experimentation, then we might be seeing Joey Carberry at ten or mm. a few more changes, looking more towards the long term. But he's on the record saying he wants to win this tournament. And if it is Mac Hansen who gets the nod, like there is no other out and out left winger in there, although Keith Earls has played in that position a lot. Yeah, so I, this is why Balakun's not really being spoken about, is it? Because the right wing spot is nailed down at the moment? I think a lot of people saw that Andrew Conway had played on the left wing against Japan during the summer, and or maybe it was the USA, one of the summer games, and thought that was kind of a bit of forward planning, got a bit of experience there, and that what, what they would do was play Conway on the left and, and Balakun on the right, because, you know, Balakun played against. Argentina in the last game he's you know it's his jersey to lose he played very well he's been playing excellently for Ulster like there's some whispers that there's not maybe not even an Ulster player in the entire 23 which would be you know considering their form it's got to cause a little bit of discussion like we'll wait and see until you know Rob Herring and Ian Henderson are definitely in contention for bench spots but I thought Balakum was almost locked in because he's playing so well he offers so much he's the closest thing Ireland have to a, a re-sammed in terms of out and out pace yeah. but um but, you know, the, the, there is no, you know, he's not a like for like for James Lowe, who's the big absentee. Zebo's not in the squad. You can't put him on the left wing, or like, because we had Luke Fitzgerald on during the week, and he was just making the point that there's not that much difference. He has a personal preference for your, uh, your strong foot to be kicking in and your foot 
to be able to to step off that foot. But like he was kind of saying, it doesn't really matter that much. It from a defensive perspective, the left wing is more difficult because you get exposed more often down the short side. And Ireland do tend to get caught there more than certainly during the bad days of Andy Farrell's regime. Ireland do tend to get caught in the left wing, whether it was Stockdale or whether it was um, whether whether it was James Lowe, and you know a lot of that was kind of put down to their own shortcomings, yeah. but there's a lot of defensive responsibility in that left wing and, and that's where I would see the risk with Mark Hansen because he had an unbelievable start to the season Like he, 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 and with ball in hand he is electric and he lights up a game and I was down at the get game where they beat the Ospreys in the rain and he was incredible Does he ever play in the right wing for Connacht? I don't think so he, I think he has the capability to play fullback. I think he's probably more versatile but, okay. but it's it, you know Conway's locked in in that right wing spot I think um, Conway's locked in in the start I think so you're looking at fitting lads around them um, Balakun, I would have thought was the logical one because he's there he's got the experience he's probably your 2023 winger you know he's got like I think he has the upside to surpass Conway over the, over that time you know tough job because Conway's playing very well but hmm. I, I want to see Balakun play for Ireland I think he's exciting he offers a lot of what Ireland are missing yet the ga- vacancies on the far side and they've decided to replace it more like for like Zebo must be absolutely raging that he went to South Africa and got and, and, and was caught in that whole situation and just hasn't played any games because this was his moment because Stockdale's out Lowe's out he was in the squad ahead of Hanson in November and he just hasn't had any games he's played I think four games this season he must be raging that he didn't get a chance to because if he'd over stayed at home he would have played in the Wasps game that would have more than likely gone well for him as and he'd been in the Ireland squad I yeah. mean it's just a South African situation he should have had two good games in South Africa at least one and a half the way Munster do their thing that, you know, he would have got at least one start over there he would have come back he probably would have featured in those Champions Cup games yeah. you know Derby against Leinster, he would have had momentum coming into this. He, probably, you know, if it had gone well, he would have got a chance to to impress, and he would be next in line. Instead, this guy who signed for Connacht last summer from Australia has now gone ahead of him in the pecking order. He must be wondering why he came home, even though he signed the new contract. Um, and it's justified because Mac Hansen's played a lot of rugby, and Simon Zebo hasn't. He's had a couple of injuries recently, but he has he has been playing, and they're going with a guy who's playing week in week out. And, yeah. and Earls as well has not played a lot of rugby recently. He's come into this window with an injury. Well, it's genuine strength and depth we have there. Uh, you know, so building it, we're missing our. Two first choice who we thought were going to be long term there, and all of a sudden it's like we're very genuinely excited about somebody who's coming in and who's ahead of at least two other people. Well, like, who I mean, we you think guys did the depth chart here, and, and I think if, I don't know, I didn't see Luke's one, but like you know, I'm sure Mac Hansen was down in the depth chart. He's suddenly just gone up two or three rank, ranks in there. Yeah, he's pushed Simon Zebo down there. What Farrell is looking for now is a response from Zebo, a response from Jimmy O'Brien, who's playing unbelievable stuff at Leinster. You know, to try and get them in. So yeah, it's it is genuine depth. Saturday's not about depth. You know, Saturday. There's two things. There's the long-term planning and the, and the depth chart and all that stuff. That you know, there's the Johnny Sexton debate and whether you should be resting them for you know and bringing on other players. But there's also winning the Six Nations, and as a select, it's not a safe selection. It's a really brave selection. If it goes badly, it, he's given himself uh, you know a, a, yeah, a, a, a rod. Yeah, no, it's really it's 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 fascinating. So if he goes through with it, and he'll explain it later on in his press conference. Um, and I think it will come down to his training. I think uh, it's for McConnacht. He's been excellent McConnacht, and sometimes we you know underestimate what people are not we, but everyone kind of sometimes goes, "Ah, oh, Connacht are doing well," and then when it comes to Champions Cup, it's it's not as you know they don't go as well, and it kind of falls falls by the wayside. But he has done really well in the URC. He's been rewarded for that. He's come into camp and done really well. And it sounds like he's going to get his chances this, this weekend. Uh, the other um, difference in in your all uh, probable teams is that. Uh, 
it's the Leinster pairing or Bundy mm. and it looks like it could be this is still know, up for grabs yeah, that's still up for grabs and I'd say that, that would, you know they have these meetings and I'd say you know the Leinster front row the half backs the back row were all you know I'd say the conversations over those were fairly I mean talk about Jack O'Donoghue there um, before I came on you know Caelan Doris is, is locked in Peter O'Mahony's fairly locked in as a second choice you've got Gavin Coombs trying to get in there there is that's where there's real depth and there is a hierarchy, I think, at the, at the moment on the basis of New Zealand. Bundyaki started against New Zealand. He's playing very well for Connacht. There is a strong argument for him to play. Robbie Henshaw is the player of the year, the double winning player of the year in Irish rugby. The starting line, you know, Bundy got in for the last test, but he was the starting line. And he has come back, you know, he has had a more interrupted season this year, but he is, you know, he has come back. He is Ireland's first choice 12 when fit under Andy Farrell. If you look at the way he's picked his teams, Ringrose is locked in. I was expecting Henshaw. Um, I would expect Henshaw to play, but I, you know, I don't think the team will be significantly weakened by Bundyaki playing at twelve. You give Henshaw twenty minutes off the bench, and then he's fit for Paris, and you've got another. You know, he comes on, plays well. Yeah, you've got a decision, and that's what you want. Then you want to be like neither of these selections. We, like the, the handsome one is a risk, a, a serious gamble, giving a guy a debut against Wales when there are more experienced players in the squad. Henshaw Aki is literally a flip of a, flip of a coin and it doesn't weaken the team significantly I, I would go Henshaw personally but I don't think Aki is, 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 is gonna, and like Hume is really unlucky to miss out as well but yeah. he's just not like you know Ringrose is, is ahead of him and he's relying on an injury I think I think it would be it would be interesting for them to put Bundy in the team because it does just remind everybody that even Robbie Henshaw occasionally can lose his position right whereas like you know you're saying Caelan Doris is, is nailed on and I, I don't think anybody thinks otherwise but if at some point along the way Doris has a blip in form or, or there's any kind of any slight doubt about his fitness then you need to take him out as opposed to in previous teams it would have been well, like that's what if your leg was the off you're playing Cup. that was the problem with the World Cup the team that played against New Zealand was not the form team from that World Cup you know it, like the player, players in that team had, had been injured had, had you know Henshaw's one of them uh, Rob Carney had been injured there was loads of injuries across the team and, and the, he picked a team that had got him there and he would stay loyal to them Doris is locked in because he's playing really, really well. And yeah. he beat, you know, the, in November he he was part of a unit that was playing really, really well. That unit has kept playing very well and deserves to play. Um, you know, Henshaw has had an inter- interrupted season. You, like you're, you're right. If, if Aki is the one who's training better and playing better, he's in. There's no doubt. If James Hume is playing better than Gary Ringrose, there's no reason. Just because Gary Ringrose has a central contract, shouldn't get him selected ahead of James Hume. Gary Ringrose is playing really, really well yeah. at the moment, and it's really unfortunate for Hume, who has to be. The, this is the great thing for Ulster is that he's going to go back again annoyed um, and, 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 and perform even better and you know, he'll hope to get Leinster in a knockout game in Europe and knock them out because that's his mindset and that's what you want to build you know the, Munster are probably getting performance out of Jack O'Donoghue because he's annoyed that he's not getting into the Ireland squad and he's signed a contract with Munster to play for Ireland and he's not getting in so this is the knock-on effect throughout the whole thing The no Ulster players would mean Herring doesn't make the bench that Sheehan makes the bench for him and Henderson hasn't got well, to the, the level one, The one thing Farrell the one bit of clarity around injuries we got from the launch last week was that Ian Henderson was behind everyone else that 36 players in the squad were he had hoped were going to train fully but he was a bit worried about Ian Henderson now he, he has trained to some degree but I'd say they're just minding him for Paris he hasn't played since December okay. he, he's, I think he's only played three times all season um, and they have Ryan Baird there they have Kieran, well Kieran Trevelle's Ulster so if the word is that there's no Ulster players it's probably not going to be him I think Baird is the next in line they probably feel like they can get through Wales without that massive hulking lock that Henderson is and then hopefully he's fit for Paris to bring him over maybe to come off the bench for 20 minutes because unlikely unless the th- one of the lads gets injured obviously there's big decisions there but it, it is a week long turnaround there's enough time to get bodies back on track so um, 
it'd be like you know, it, it's it's a blow because he's a really important player for Ireland, and it is one area where we don't have depth. Is the second row that you know you you wouldn't be sure about any of the players below because they don't have the experience or the form. Ryan Bear can't get in the Leinster team at the moment, and, and he's on the bench for Ireland for a Six Nations. Yeah, and Leinster have just gone and signed a giant South African who at some point is going to be playing ahead of Ryan Baird in big games. It's um, yeah, that was an interesting decision. Yeah, absolutely, and they're picking Ross Maloney ahead of him, who can't get in the Ireland squad, who's having an excellent excellent so- uh, season. They're letting a couple of younger locks go to gave Joe McCarthy a young lock de- a, a debut last week ahead of like guys that we thought were ahead of them in pecking order so they're not sure they, they're clearly making decisions about their second row hierarchy that, that are different to what we you know the, the way we could perceive it you know Devon Toner probably finishing up at the end of the season we would imagine you know they have big changes there and like Ireland need settled like lock is the most like valuable position in, in world rugby at the moment across the board and Ireland are thin in that area and it's a really bad time to be losing Ulton Delan from Connacht after losing Quinn Roo last year because they've both been capped under Randy Farrell so they were part of the picture even though they weren't frontline players they're important parts of this you know that hierarchy that's there and they are losses to the team Is is Delan going because he wants to play more rugby and the contract is better or is he going because he didn't feel he was going to make the Ireland like match day 23 over the World Cup squad what's the do I we know there's a financial element to it there's a rugby element of going and, I mean we still haven't got clarity of which club he's going to we think La Rochelle but there's no you know if it is La Rochelle he's going over to work with Irish coaches he's going to a great club he's got a chance of winning a European Cup it's a, it's a beautiful, you know, beautiful beautiful part of the world you know he speaks French he's got, the weather you know, will be different the weather will be different you know he grew up in, in Paris to some degree and he's also probably sick of going up to Carton House and Abbottstown Not and holding it. tackle bags yeah. because after a while James Hume came back from one month and said, I was, I'm really annoyed with this, I want to play. And Golden Land's been doing that for pretty much five, six years at this stage and has never got a sustained run of the team. Yeah. He's been picked in teams, like there was times during the previous regime where he would be picked in a team on a Tuesday, train badly that day, and then be told, no, look, you're out. You know, like that's got to be demoralising. And no Ireland coach, for whatever reason, has ever gone to Golden Land, put his arm around you and gone, you're yeah, my man. man. Yeah. And he has a lot of the capabilities that, um, that that you think would do at an international rugby, but for whatever reason, they haven't they haven't backed him in. It, so. Is he not a tight head uh, lock no he's always been the kind of like Quinn Roo has been the, the yeah. yeah he's more the dynamic athletic and we have a lot of those unfortunately because of the way we're, bre- we're bred we don't have giant men who come in and do that job naturally so you, you really light on that That that's why we you know have brought in so many South Africans to fill that role over the years yeah okay um, the Welsh are uh, quietly talking themselves down and uh, talking about the long term structural issues that they have with the game and the concerns they have over the future of the sport they're basically setting themselves up for an ambush they're old hands at this and uh, notwithstanding the stuff that we've said on the show this week there's a good chance that this young Welsh team are you know shorn of any expectations and perform like that we've seen them we've seen them smash and grab in the past yeah and I think if you listen to the people Owen's talking to I was listening to on, on the way in you know like they're obviously not feeling too confident about it but if, when you're talking to people in the camp there's a bullishness to them they are the champions They've done like you know Dan Bigger is the captain. He's done it. I don't know how many Six Nations medals. He's more Six Nations medals than any of the Irish players right. I would have thought. And they're <coughs> they're quite um, proud of the record, understandably. And they're used to beating Ireland, although they don't win here very often. They haven't won here since twenty twelve, I don't think. So um, that's uh, certainly in the Six Nations. They may have a World Cup qualifier, and they drew here in twenty sixteen. They. They know what their issues are, but they're good at getting past those issues, particularly the regional stuff. They've they've parked that. They come into the Vale of Glamorgan, and it's almost like a release for them because the regions are struggling. Most of them have them play in England anyway, and they're they're going fine with their clubs. It's mm. not an issue to them. And um, Pivac's a good coach. Stephen Jones is a very good attack coach. They're clever. They're, they're well able to set up plan, traps for Irish teams to fall into. 
Um, and we are we are guilty year year in year out of underestimating them. And I've do, I'm doing it myself this year. I like I do think Ireland will win this game. It's 14 points spread in the bookies though, which. I, that's hard to get your head around when and you think it's gone this up is, from twelve and a half. Like that's yeah. where the money is going. And yeah, it's 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 moving one way, and and um, the weather's going to be terrible. I think, or certainly there's rain forecast for Saturday afternoon. You'd imagine that will play into Ireland's hands because I think Ireland have the better type five and a very reliable set piece to play off, and they have. I mean, like there's a case then to play Conor Murray. You know, if, if the weather's bad, not that Gibson Park's a bad wet weather scrum half, but. Um, you know, I think he will go with Gibson Park, but you've Sexton there with his experience. You've Aki to truck the ball up. You've Henshaw to come off the bench with twenty five minutes to go. But it, and Hansen, for all that he's an Australian, has played some of the best wet weather rugby I've seen all year. So that maybe makes makes more sense in that regard. But there is, uh, it, it probably play even though Ireland can play a full court game as we saw against the All Blacks. I think their 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 size in that in that front row lends itself to being able to bully teams as well. Um, I like. The, the day that we won the Six Nations in Twickenham I don't think anybody would have predicted that day what happened to us in the World Cup so it's probably impossible for us to try and read the runes from what happens in the next seven weeks to what's going to happen uh, in 18 months time when we have like the best teams in the world uh, that we have to overcome if we're going to get beyond where we've ever got before and yet like we always do it right so yeah. it's inevitable it feels like our style of play and our strength and depth and the age profile of our key players with the exception obviously of Johnny Sexton that spike in the team the, the, yeah. the one yeah like it's different this time am I, am I, oh, like I or would, like would we have talked ourselves into that too at the, 20, at the 2018 I sat in here and debated you and about how we were all we, you know, we weren't getting carried away we were legitimate uh, legitimate uh, t- title we contenders which we were like you know on all the evidence that was there the, the, the project looked pretty good you know that Joe Smith had managed it really well into that point and it all fell apart in the subsequent and that a lot of that was down to confidence. A lot of some of it was down to having a cap, you know, having hitched your wagon to a captain who was going to be too old at the World Cup, to a bunch of senior players who were going to be over the, you know, they peaked at the wrong time. There is a danger that this team peaks in twenty twenty two. That this team, you know, wins a Grand Slam or a Six Nations in an unbelievable style with Johnny at the helm. They go to New Zealand. They do something special again with Johnny at the helm. They get to November and then Johnny starts to slow down a little bit because he's thirty, you know, he's, he's turning thirty seven soon and. And Carby might pick up a few few more injuries, and they haven't invested enough minutes in in Carty or Jack Crowley or Ben Healy or whoever the next man is. And it's just getting—he's running out of road to make that change at or to get those minutes into those players. And it's really hard to look at this five-game window and say, right, this is the one I'm going to play, Joey Carby. If it's Italy, it's right bang in the middle of the tournament when there's like two weeks either side, and you're if you've won your first two games. You know, you're going for a title you probably play Johnny and bring Joey, Joey Kirby off, for, off the bench for half an hour and suddenly Johnny's playing all five games and you've got through another window where you may have a medal and which is like we should, we can't sniff at Six Nations titles in this country we haven't won enough of them but you're left in a situation where you're going to New Zealand and you're going well I can't you know, I'm playing playing the All Blacks on Saturday I, you know, I've got Johnny here he's still yeah. playing really well he's just yeah. won a Heineken Cup potentially you know and I've got Joey Carberry he's coming back from another injury or, or I have Jack Carty who I don't really trust or I've got Ben Healy who has never played for Ireland before am I going to give him a debut against the All Blacks in Wellington or, or wherever and then you go to Johnny again and then you get to November and South Africa are here and Australia are here like, do you do it then? I mean, some stage you have to do it because You're otherwise no we end up in the same situation yeah. again where Joey Carberry starts having not really... And, and this is the, the, the difficult... We're kind of sleepwalking, op, open eyes sleepwalking into the same situation again. So there is loads to like about Ireland's age profile, about their depth, about the way Andy Farrell has transformed the game. I think the environmental changes he's made are really important for a World Cup. He's made it fun in there. It's not as high pressure. It's much more... Um, 
low stress I think they go to Abbottstown they do their work there and they go back to the hotel and they decompress whereas everything was in the hotel under Joe Schmidt so you know, they were afraid home. of remember the, yeah. the, the, the card story where yeah. you know, you're afraid of losing your card because it might come back to haunt you you know yeah. um, there, it's more yeah there's more of a, of a separation there so I think getting through a World Cup will be easier in this environment because he's better at managing that so there's loads of stuff to get excited about and yet there is that one key thing that I just you wonder was going to like it's it, it set up to come back and bite them, bite them in the ass but again it's really hard for him to figure out when to put him in it's really, for me to sit here today and say it would be a mistake to play Johnny Sexton against Wales I mean that's kind of ridiculous and yet I t- I would, after you the know, World Cup we'd be I like well we didn't play Johnny, you played Johnny yeah. Sexton too much you know, so it's, I would it's understand different. that I, it feels like um, it feels like Sexton could have could have been uh, a finisher o- O'Gara talked about finishers mm. with us the other day right and it was interesting because I would say if uh, he was able to uh, listen to himself 20 years ago talking about finishers he'd be like that's not me that's somebody else you start the game that's all that matters when you're a player and yeah. he's obviously had that conversion in his mind if if we could turn Johnny Sexton into somebody who comes off the bench to win games for us like what an incredible asset that would be when he's playing this well yeah. this or, might be or the time you to get, do it or you do it for a year but then you get to the World Cup and he's back to being a starter Whatever. but he's used to both roles exactly. and you can go like I mean the rest of them for Japan you know, could he have come off the bench in that game? You know, like in, in the World Cup. Like, so I think what happened, what, what really needs to happen if you're going to do that is Andy Farrell t- meets him in Nove- after November. So that was a great November. You did really well. Yeah. Looking at the long term, you're 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 my captain. Your team, your team my first man. Yeah. But I need to change your role because you understand the risks involved. And I and you and this in this, you know, you use your management skills. You get him on board. Then you come out in the press and you say, "Look, we're changing on his role. He's not going to be starting every." And you manage that. You can't just drop it in on the Thursday of a Wales match. Um, no. You know, it, it, it needs to be telegraphed. It needs yeah. to be telegraphed. It needs to be, and, and Johnny needs to be fully on board with it and, and understand it. And maybe it's New Zealand. Maybe that's the time. Um, but like, it's not a risk for this tournament. Like, if Johnny gets through all five games of this tournament, Ireland have a really good chance of winning, and you know, potentially a Grand Slam. And you know, that, that is worthy of its celebration. But you know, we have to step back from it in our role, and we have to look at the the cycle as a whole as well. And you want to win the Six Nations, but you also want to future proof yourself. And the fear is that. Ireland are not future-proofing themselves in this one key position and the captain I would say tight head prop is the other actual aspect of this as well because it, so what we've done is we've got our best front row our best three players out now in the yeah. front row and if there's an injury to Furlong our solution seems to be we're going to move potentially yeah you know, and then suddenly two positions are actually moved and there's a there's a weakness there so like if Furlong doesn't go to New Zealand I don't think that's the worst thing of course he's going to go because they've invested all they're saying well we're paying you what's the point of this yeah but actually and also it's an important again look look at the 2003 World Cup England going to New Zealand and winning in New Zealand was a key these are all key markers you know winning and be, being a winning team is yeah. really key as well so I this know. is but no it's it's you're right and and like Finley Beelham is playing really well for Connacht so maybe you don't shift Porter maybe you you, you well, keep it'd be good you, to you see Beelham up they need to experiment with that I think absolutely and and Tom O'Toole they've invested an awful lot of faith and hope in Tom O'Toole who's the the Ulster Ulster prop and and I'd be interested to see whether they go like Bielham is probably the form player to, to be on the bench on Saturday O'Toole is probably the long term you know the, the phys, has the physical capacity to do it now he's never going to be as good I don't think as Furlong or Porter and yeah, like if you're in a World Cup situation although you're allowed to bring I think the squad will be bigger next time so you can bring three on both sides yeah. you still have that capacity to have a world class t- uh, tight head prop but I mean the longer he plays at loose head the less he's going to be a world class tight air prop, and yeah. you've got to just back him to be what he is. He's, and our depth at loosehead is not phenomenal either. We do have Keen Healy to step up, so you know, and, and Dave Kilcoyne. But beneath that, then again, you've got a little bit of a drop off. So prop is, is another issue. I'm not as worried about it. You're right. Like if Ty Furlong goes down, 
Ireland are in trouble um, regardless and I think he's so far ahead of the players in the world never mind just in his position that, that's it's a fair point a, there, yeah. are, there are going to be players like that at all times I think when a player is 36 and they're going to be 38 at the World Cup it's that's more, when the alarm pressing. bells start going mm. off because everyone's everyone can get injured but Especially like a player who has a history of getting injured at World Cups, you know, like yeah, and it's and rugby, Johnny Sexton yeah. probably hears stuff like this and goes, "God, they're coming at me again." It's not, it's it's about the team. It's not about like you know we all see that he is the best out half in the country right now for and this there's team. A, there's a good chance when the team gets named for our, our World Cup quarterfinal if we make it that far that he is the starter and nobody Brilliant. nobody bats an eyelid. But you've got you've got lucky in that in that regard. Yeah. Okay, give me your prediction. Ireland, but not by uh, yeah Ireland by ten maybe. See, that's it. We all think that. And that's, these are the ones where it's a bus saw we just walk into and go, oh, how did that happen? Again! Wells Online of the headline radio. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Rory, good stuff. One last opportunity for everybody to enter our competition. It's a mystery voice. It's tickets to Ireland against Wales uh, at the Aviva on Saturday. It's all thanks to Aldi, official fresh food partner to Irish Rugby, who launched Play With Your Food with the IRFU this week. New research shows that over 40% of Irish kids don't eat fruit and veg every day. Aldi are encouraging kids to think differently about how they consume fruit and veg. They can create food art in a fun and playful way that gets the whole family involved. Just tell us, who is this mystery voice? They were providing lunch for us, and lunch was a white roll with ham, cheese and coleslaw. You can tweet the answer, comment on the YouTube live stream or WhatsApp, OTB at 087-9180-180. Here's what's on uh, OTB Sports Radio today. Uh, Jack McCaffrey at one o'clock. Leaders' questions at three. Our retro panel is Limerick's All Ireland win at four, and OTB Gold is Paul McGrath at six. And then the show is live tonight. I should tell you, of course, that we have our very first live Six Nations show of the new Six Nations season, and it's going to be Richie speaking with Brian O'Driscoll on tonight's program. So, up next, Craig Hope of the Daily Mail as he talks Roy Keane to Sunderland. OTB. That was Shane Horan of Kilmacud Croaks in the ad break there, talking to Will and Tommy on the Club Championship show, confirming his retirement from Offaly. It's live every Wednesday across the OTB social channels and also available in the OTB GAA podcast feed. Club Championship coverage on Off the Ball is in association with AIB, proud sponsors of the Football Hurling and Camogie All-Ireland Club Championships. Check out the hashtag the toughest for more. Uh, big breaking news over the last 24 hours. Uh, Roy Keane has been linked with a return to Sunderland. I'm delighted to say Craig Hope of the Daily Mail, their North East football correspondent, is back with us. Craig, we were just last week talking about Newcastle and their transfer window, and now all of a sudden mm. Sunderland are back in the news with potentially a return of Roy Keane. Uh, it will be box office, that's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, you guys haven't rung me for two years. You've rung me twice in a week now. Uh, <laughs> it just shows you what's happening up here in the. In the northeast, uh, yeah, a week ago we were talking about Newcastle, weren't we, and being the, the richest spenders in Europe. One week on, uh, not satisfied with, with that. We've got the potential and probably the likelihood of Roy Keane coming coming to the northeast to return to Sunderland, and it would be absolutely sensational. Now, yesterday morning I got word that, that Roy was interested in the job and Sunderland were interested in him. Uh, we then broke the story on the Daily Mail yesterday afternoon that uh, Roy would be interviewed for the position. Uh, I understand the latest this morning is that face-to-face talks are set to take place. Uh, he is, for the majority within the club, the number one choice uh, in a short-term role between now and the end of the season. And I think something like that would appeal to Keane. Uh, I, I really do. The chance to come in and take over his side. But listen, they're only two points off the automatic promotion places. You've got Jermaine Defoe coming back last week as well. There is a, all of a sudden a, a, a romance around the club. And if you put Keane and Defoe 
on the same ticket, well, wow, you'd probably be selling out that 50,000-seater stadium in League One. So the latest we know is that formal talks are set to take place. If they go well, and I think it's as much Roy Keane interviewing Sunderland as it is Sunderland interviewing Roy Keane, by the way, if they go well, I think things could move very quickly and, and Roy could well be appointed. And, and wow, what an appointment that would be, you know, for, for supporters, for the press, for the football club, even for, for Roy himself as well. I, I really am, as a journalist, selfishly, I'm really hoping this happens. So we're on the other side of that, whereas actually we want to still, still see him on TV every week because we've really enjoyed <laughs> who he has become. It seems like, um, it, uh, what, what's the assessment of Keane, the manager? Is there a romance around Sunderland about what he did when he was there the first time? And does that tally with who he is now, do you think, Craig? Well, there's only one of his former clubs he could go back to in terms of a, a club where he's, he's managed to coach and where he would be so gratefully received and, and that would be Sunderland you know there's still the there's still the affection for him there he's still hugely popular you consider the job he came in you know Niall Quinn had the, the awful start when he was he was juggling you know part chairman part manager in uh, back in, in 2007 whenever it was and they were, they were bottom of the championship when Roy Keane came in and it, it was testament to the job he did and the charisma of him to so he was an atomic bomb of charisma, really, over Sunderland uh, during during that period. Uh, he took them from what was the, the the bottom of the championship to the, the, the top of the division, won promotion, took them into the Premier League, survived comfortably, relatively comfortably the next year, but then had, as is the way with Roy, had differences with the ownership, left halfway through the following season, but his stock is still extremely high in these parts, and it would be a massively popular appointment among supporters, certainly. The other thing that a lot of people in this part of the world probably don't know too much about is the current ownership structure. Like the the thing with Ellis Short was he wasn't appointed by Ellis Short. He was originally appointed by the Irish guys who owned the club. And so Ellis Short came in, bought the club from the Irish guys and and the fallout happened relatively quickly after that. Uh, This time it's it's the manager uh, being hired by the current owner. So you would hope that they have some understanding of what any potential long-term future might look like if they were to hitch their wagons together? I mean, Roy Keane falling out with Ellis Short within a year of Ellis Short's ownership was quite prophetic, really, in terms of the, the signpost for Ellis, Ellis Short's tenure going forward. You know, I think Roy Keane got a, a feel very quickly for what, what Ellis was and, and what he wasn't, and it wasn't for him. And subsequently, Ellis Short's ownership ultimately took the club to, to, to where it is now. Yet there's been one uh, one set of owners in between, uh, Stuart Donald and, and Charlie Methlenwein Satori, who are still involved with the club, by the way. They are still shareholders in the background, but certainly the, the front-of-house ownership now is Kirill Louis-Dreyfus, the, the French-Swiss trust fund billionaire, and he's assisted by Christian Speakman, the sporting director, and it's a, it's a forward-thinking model. That's the way they, they like to see it. Now, for example, on, on Monday, after Lee Johnson was sacked on, on, on Sunday night following the 6-0 defeat at Bolton on Saturday, Christian Speakman, the sporting director, called a meeting with the players to outline the reasons why Lee Johnson had been sacked. And there was a little bit of talk in there of things like XG and, you know, real, real, real forward-thinking uh, in terms of strategy and their methodology. And I think that a couple of the players weren't really on board with that. Uh, I think there's quite a few in there still loyal to Johnson who thought it was harsh that the manager was sacked uh, with them only two points off, off the automatic promotion places. So if Roy does come in, he'll be inheriting a dressing room who who didn't necessarily feel there was a need for a change of manager. But then on the other side of the coin, 
you've got elements of the ownership who thought that coziness with the manager was the reason exactly why they did need a change. They did need someone to come in there and give them a short, sharp shock. And that man, they feel, is absolutely right keen. And my own personal opinion is, I think it was just the appointment they need in the isolation of this season and what, what they want and what they need now to reignite that promotion push. They only won one of the last five. We're beginning to stutter. Yes, you can make all the arguments about league position not being what it was, but you know they're, they're good enough. They should be up there. And I think Keane is the man to achieve that. Is there a world where Roy Keane takes them up and decides, and they both decide that was job done and he walks away? Or is it kind of built in that if he takes them up, then he'll take them into the championship next season as well? Honest answer is we don't know. And also, you say, is there a world where that happens? Well, this is Roy Keane world, so anything can happen. When I was told yesterday afternoon that Sunderland will interview Roy Keane, it was provided with the caveat, this is Roy Keane, he could change his mind tonight. You know, he, he could get a call from somebody in football who, who puts, him off the, puts him off the job and he could say, you know what, I don't really fancy this anymore. So it's Roy Keane, anything that happened, that's why he's box office, that's why... If he does come in, we'll be going there every week on mass to interview him, to, to talk to him. You know, he, he really does have that draw and that pull. Listen, if Roy Keane takes him up into the championship, I think it would potentially be, be very hard for him not to, not to want to carry on that project. But at the same time, as you saw with his previous time at the club, that would be dependent on certain guarantees in him buying into the future direction and the level of ambition and intent of the ownership and as of yet with the current ownership model, I think we perhaps expected more in terms of investment. I think they've spent a million, two million pounds on new players. Now, when Kirill and Louis Dreyfus arrived a year, year and a half ago, I think we expected a lot more than that, bearing in mind the, the wealth behind them. That hasn't quite happened yet. Uh, I think maybe the ownership structure is part of the reason to do with that. But if Keane comes in and Keane makes certain demands and wants and does well and stays on beyond the summer... I think we probably have to see that change. I think he would only stay on if he knew the project was right for him. You, you talked about the, the use of XG in, in that meeting where the owners are explaining, the director of football is explaining to the team uh, what happened. Roy Keane is not that type of football analyst. And certainly he hasn't shown that in any of the, the roles. It, that's not what he talks about when he's on television. Uh, would he need to add that into his backroom team? Is, is that the assumption here? If, if, or is this, as you say, short, sharp shock and then everybody revisits in the summer? could be and I think that was one of the questions the players asked during the meeting on Monday they said you know if you guys are thinking now of bringing in someone short term to get us promoted what happened to this long term plan this long term project that would be sold and everyone is everyone is trying to buy into so there is that it's sort of a, 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 a clash really in terms of that that, you're exactly right. Roy, Roy Keane isn't the, the sort of character you would expect who would come into a model which is based on expectations and targets to be met in relation to X3. Now, you can just imagine what he thinks about, which is why I said earlier, this meeting uh, in, in the next couple of days is as much Roy interviewing Sunderland as it is Sunderland interviewing Roy. But again, I come back to what I said. In the isolation of what they need now and what they want now, Someone to go into the dressing room to shake it up, the short, sharp shock to introduce a winning culture. What was said to me was they want a leader in there who sets standards. Well, that is Roy Keane's job description as a, as a player, almost. Wasn't it? You know, a leader who sets standards. That's what they want, and that is why they're so so sweet on Roy Keane. I think the bigger picture stuff 
it's probably a conversation for another day further down the line. And, and sorry, Craig, the um, the manager who got sacked, did his entire backroom team go as well or are they still in place? So I, I'm wondering, is Roy coming essentially as a lone wolf here and maybe with a right-hand man, but not, not with a whole backroom team so he, he can walk in, use what's already there and, and essentially just be a motivator? Yeah, no, I'm John, Johnson's assistant went with him, so uh, Roy Keane would need to bring in a, a new assistant. And I suppose that would be the nature of the, of the talks, really, in terms of the makeup of the backroom staff. Of course, some staff are still there because they needed someone to prepare the team and to take the team uh, ahead of the game this weekend. So, uh, yeah, I think issues like that will all be up for discussion. I think what you won't see is Roy Keane bringing an entire staff with him in terms of analysts, goalkeeping coaches, fitness coaches, all the rest of it. It might be one or two to help them. Listen, we're assuming he is going to take the job. We don't know that yet. I think if he does, though, it will just be one or two at most in the short term. Is it a bit bizarre that this is happening just days after the transfer window closes? There is an element of that. You know, I know that there's been concerns about Lee Johnson among the ownership for, for a little while now. There's a sticky run uh, in the autumn where they didn't think they were, they were winning enough games. Now, Lee Johnson then answered those questions by going on a, a, a wonderful run in December and emerging with the, the Manager of the Month award. Now, the wheels have come off a little bit since then, but so what happened was they had a good run in December. Johnson then won, I won't use day of execution, but, you know, Johnson won more time and, you know, you thought this is going to work, they on track for promotion. They then went about the January business, but parallel to going through the transfer window was this dip in form and this you know, one win in the one win in the last five, which culminated in the six and defeat of Bolton on Saturday. I think it was always going to be difficult for for Lee Johnson to survive that, despite his popularity within the dressing room and despite the fact they still were so close to promotion. And there are mitigating factors for for Lee. You know, they haven't spent millions on players, as I said before. There, uh, so no, listen, Roy is coming into it. Roy is coming into. I keep on saying that, don't I? You know, Roy or any manager will potentially be coming into a situation that isn't necessarily catastrophic. You know, you. you, you you're inheriting a situation where promotion is still very real and, and almost very likely and to, to be expected. They just want someone to come in there and shake it up in the short term. Well, that'll definitely happen. Craig, great to have you with us. It's gone from uh, famine to a feast in no time. Yeah, thanks, guys. We, we're never quiet up here. It's always good fun. <laughs> good stuff. That's Craig Hope there from the uh, Daily Mail giving us the very latest on the Roy Keane situation and we will obviously watch that with bated breath to see exactly what happens. No word yet on whether or not... Um, they have signed up for or if they might reconsider signing up for another series of Sunderland Till I Die which you know would definitely make the whole thing worthwhile for everybody assuming everybody was getting their taste if you want to get in touch with us you can get us on 0879-180-180 OTBAM is brought to you by Gillette good morning start with Gillette put your best face forward with their new and improved razors Uh, All right. Time for us to say congratulations to Shane Mulvaney. You've won a pair of tickets to Ireland against Wales in the Aviva Stadium on Saturday afternoon because you correctly identified our mystery voice as... They were providing lunch for us and lunch was a white roll with ham, cheese and coleslaw. It's Paul O'Connell, of course. That's a pair of tickets for Ireland-Wales. It's all thanks to Aldi, official fresh food partner to Irish rugby, who've launched Play With Your Food with the IRFU this week. Check out Aldi underscore Ireland for more details. And we'll have another pair of tickets to give away tomorrow on OTBAM, but you have to tune in live at half past seven to hear how to enter. Tomorrow morning, Adrian's going to be in studio. Owen's broadcasting live from Wales. He's going to have interviews with Eddie Butler and much more as well ahead of the weekend. We'll have our GA Quick Picks Six Nations with Alan Quinlan and a studio interview with Coach Pat Fitzgerald of Northwestern University, of course, are coming to Ireland for the Erlingus Football College Classic. OTB AM. With Gillette, put your best face forward with our new and improved razors.